Hello, welcome PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Happy week four, everybody. I am your host, Ian Harditz, joined as always on our game breakdown podcast preview, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, happy week four. Yes, man. Happy week four. We have three weeks worth of data. What does that mean, Ian? We, we, we may have a trend or two, maybe. Some things have only been going on two weeks, though. So, But uh, we have more data than ever. So, yeah, man, I'm super excited. Uh, I think this will be my strongest rankings um, of the season. Like, as you get more information, you know, you just get better. So I'm excited. General rule of thumb that I've learned from my time in the old business is that week three, that's about when we're fully done with 2020 data. Maybe we'll still look at a few things here or there. Week four, once we get four weeks of data, that's when we are completely fully in 2021. So about 75% of the way there, people. We got a lot of great stats and notes coming up. As always, we'll preview all 16 games this episode. Dwayne and I, you know, we're probably going to push two hours. Last week, we got it done like 30 seconds before two hours. We're not going through every single match up in every game though if we did that Dwayne maybe we can go six hours I don't even know we're not doing that we're gonna mainly just focus on one really cool finding on for each team and then just try to touch on you know quickly the relevant fancy options so let's kick things off with another atrocious Thursday night football game that I will be in personal attendance at Jaguars at the Bengals since he favored by seven and a half points game total sitting at 45 and a half so my big thing I want to see from the Jaguars is some sign that Trevor Lawrence can just play within himself for something close to 60 minutes. Cause it's been horrendous Dwayne. I feel like with Zach Wilson kind of taking the, taking the crown of just like horrific plays and not scoring and really just puzzling turnovers. He's almost distracting from how bad Lawrence has been. Trevor actually leads, leads the league in turnover worthy plays with nine, as well as turnover worthy play rate at 7%. This is not good. I mean, it's, expected that rookie quarterback's going to have these problems. But again, to be leading the league, I understand Lawrence, he flashes once or twice every single game. You see that arm talent. You see why he was a top pick. But man, you're facing the Bengals now. Maybe it's time to just target Eli Apple, not throw the ball to the other team. Could be something that Trevor could look into doing. With these wide receivers, Marvin Jones, yes, he is the only one we can really fire up as a starter with confidence, really this week and potentially moving forward. And even then, Dwayne, I'm looking more as an upside wide receiver three than anything. Credit to James Robinson getting back uh, you know, in the top five finish last week. It's going to be a tricky week, though. The Bengals, not the Buccaneers. The Bengals are actually the league's best defense in yards before carry allowed per rush attempt this year. Luckily, and I uh, you know, was thinking about this more today, like Carlos Hyde, as annoying as he is, he's not the end of the world for James Robinson. Like, if you really look at it, we want James Robinson to have every single touch of every single game. I get it. But if we have to have a second running back there, why not be an early down grinder? That's really going to take 0% of your targets. And he's not so locked in as the early down grinder that he's going to take all the goal line work. So Robinson, even if the RB one Sundays are going to be a little more few and far between this year, I do think we can fire him up even in tough ish matchups like this as an RB two with some confidence. So Dwayne, Let's talk about a Cincinnati Bengals team that just wants to give the ball to Joe Mixon as much as possible, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a huge week for Mixon. You know, seven and a half point favorites, um, got an 8.6 out of 10 um, ranking on our running back strength of schedule metric, which takes in PFF, takes into account PFF grades, accounts for injuries, all that kind of cool stuff. So like people like, this should be like working at NASA and shit that are doing this back end stuff for our company. Um, say that uh, Joe Mixon's pretty badass, and you know, Ian, I think you and I agree, Joe Mixon's pretty badass. So it's a great spot for him um, this week. I don't, see, I'm not completely done with my rankings yet. I, 
I don't see how he's not going to be in my top six though, for sure. Might be in the top five. Um, so I'm, I'm just now really starting to dig into the rankings, but uh, looks really good from that front. The other thing I'll say about the Bengals, um, man, I would love to see a game where they, they run more plays and actually allow the plat allow the passing volume to open up. This is probably not the week that they have to do that, but until we see more of that, if we do get T Higgins back this week, you know, he missed last week with a shoulder. Um, you and I briefly hit on this last week on this show. We're probably looking at these bingo receivers more as all wide receiver, three wide receiver, four types, just because there's not enough volume right now, Ian. So now we're living, we're, we're living with touchdown passes. We, we love Jamar Chase. We love the talent people. This is not a talent thing at all. This is a volume thing. So we could have 20 passing plays this week for the Bengals. Like it could be like that. So it's just a situation where it's like, okay, how do you divide up 20 passes like five ways? Um, it's not really a, a good situation. So start them as your wide receiver threes, but just know, um, you know, there's definitely going to be some situations where we're eventually going to come up really low um, with some of these guys like Chase, Boyd, and if Higgins plays Higgins really cool tool we have at PFF is fantasy expected points spearheaded by our own Kevin Cole. And basically what this does is it takes the usage, tells you how many points we should have expected them to score, how many points they actually scored, get a real easy plus minus to see your overperformers and underperformers. And at wide receiver, the top three overperformers such far, so far, Tyler Lockett, Cooper cup and Jamar chase, not saying that he's, Hey, he's a great player. He's, it makes sense that he is exceeding expectations, but it's tough to do that consistently over a season. Hopefully we see those targets ramp up here as the weeks go on next matchup. We have an electric return to the Superdome giants at the saints saints open as nine and a half point favorites. Now they are down to seven and a half 42 point game total. So man, other than Saquon Barkley here, I don't know if I want anyone involved. We have the Texans implied to score 16.25 points this week, and the Giants are the second lowest implied offense at 18. So Daniel Jones, I get it. Dwayne, we talked about him a little bit more on the waiver pod, which you all can check out. That was released on Tuesday, where we have the rushing. Only Lamar Jackson has more rushing yards than Daniel Jones this year, as crazy as it is to say that out loud. But man, you take away Shepard, you take away Slade, you throw in a matchup against the Saints defense that at minimum is, you know, depending on how many starters they're going to be able to get back, isn't the easiest thing in the world. And I just don't think this is the week to take many chances. There might be an offensive mind out there capable of, you know, calming his young quarterback back getting guys on the right page in this sort of environment i don't think it's jason garrett but we are going all in on saquon top 10 back weekly moving forward and i think top five maybe sooner rather than later particularly in a little bit better spots 16 carries and seven targets on an 84 percent snap rate last week I think we could be underestimating just how involved he could be in the passing game, particularly now with these wide receiver injuries and no Devontae Booker to take any sort of two-minute stuff. I mean, as great as Barkley is as a pure rusher, like the reason why he took the overall RB1 crown from CMC as a rookie in 2018 was by catching 91 balls for 721 yards and four scores. That is the cheat code that we have in fantasy football. And Dwayne, I think if you look a little more closely at Alvin Kamara's numbers, you kind of realize that I think it's maybe still a hot take, but I take Saquon over Alvin Kamara the rest of the year. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. Oh yeah. Um, hey, believe me, I'm getting roasted right now on social media for the utilization report where I claim, you know, and I'm fine with it. I said Barkley's a Barkley's, my RB six, the rest of the way you draft and people are laughing. Like you get so stuck in recency bias. You got a discount on him because he was injured. Guess what? He's worked his way all the way back. He's an every down back people. 
what else do I need to say? There's only like five in the whole NFL. So yes, he is my running back six and you can kiss my ass. Okay. So, cause he is an RB six. Um, that's what he is the rest of the week with the rest of the season. I don't care who his matchup is. It doesn't matter. I just want the back. that's going to be out there all the time. They're going to have a chance to catch passes. They're going to have a chance to run the ball. That's what Barkley's going to get. I mean, so I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Um, yes, it's the giants, but you know, giants are their volume is better than what it's been. Now, let me tell you whose volume is not better than it has been. And that's the freaking saints. They're plays per game, 29th plays per minute, 31st time of possession, 19th pass percentage, 32nd in the league run percentage first, obviously in the league. Um, Whenever they're in close games, meaning within three points, they pass the 31st most. So that's your neutral game strip 31st in passing. They like to run when it's close. They're number two. So this is a running team. It really just wants to use as few plays as possible to try to win a game. It's a really, really bad recipe for success. Oh, yeah, by the way, besides Alvin Kamara, the, com- the whole offense is offense by committee. I've never seen anything like it, Ian. We've, we've had running back by committee. We've even talked about tight ends by committee and receivers by committee. This is offense by committee outside of Alvin Kamara. So if you own Kamara, yeah, it's great. But you know what? I'm with you, Ian. I moved him down today. I think um, actually in the utilization report, I moved him to my RB7 for the rest of the season rankings. That's one spot behind Saquon Barkley, despite all of this volume, because whenever you're on an offense that you are averaging 56 plays per game, that's including penalties, people, because I, I use the penalties just to get a broader um, you know, set of data to capture, you know, targets and all that kind of stuff. Like every little bit helps like as you add it up over the season. Um, but man, 56 plays per game. So that's like probably 52 when you take out penalties, you know, in a game um, that's terrible. There's it's just hard to, to divvy up much more than one or two players getting anything um, in that kind of offense, especially when it's also highly inefficient. Whenever you're, you're bare, you're lucky to pass for 150 yards every game. It's a brutal offense. Alvin Kamara has 10 catches this year. Derrick Henry has caught more passes than Alvin freaking Kamara. It's crazy, man. It but it's the world we're living in right now. And yeah, I think that this spot, you know, home again, I, I see the Saints. There's seven and a half home point home favors. Like Kamara could easily go off here. This fits a lot of the, you know, checks a lot of the boxes, I should say. But man, yeah, if you can find someone that still just believes Kamara is locked and loaded as a top three running back yeah. and get appropriate volume for that, I am not against selling high on Kamara yeah. after it's thing. a big week for Kamara. He checks all the boxes this week. You eight, you're an eight-point favorite. Uh, 26 implied points almost strength of schedules a 7.7 offensive line run blocking advantage versus the defensive line as a 35. Like that's going to be like top five. So he's going to be top five, like in every metric um, from a standpoint of, you know, getting, you know, something out of him this weekend. And I think you will, I'm, you know, my, my bigger concern is really more where yours are, which is rest of season. Like what, where's this offense going? What's it going to be? What's the direction? Cause if, if what we've seen in three games is the direction, you're just not going to be happy with Kamara week in, week out. Yeah. The only other person I could even imagine devoting really a bench spot to at this point is Marquez Callaway in the hopes that this offense is going to throw for more than 130 yards at some point. But then again, Dwayne, I think if Jameis keeps being this ineffective, he's had back-to-back pretty bad games where you get the Taysom Hill show and that's not going to be any better for anybody involved. So not looking too hot in new Orleans. 
Moving right along, we got the Kansas City Chiefs at the Philadelphia Eagles. Casey Open as five and a half point favorites. That has moved up to seven and a half. Game total resting at 54. So on the one hand, Clyde Brazilaire got you guys 100 plus yards, got you the touchdown. That's the first time he's checked both those boxes since his career debut. On the other time, sticking with the expected, uh, you know, fantasy points. He is 33rd in expected fantasy points this year, man. Like, this is not our Andy Reid, Brian Westbrook, Jamal Charles, you know, Shady McCoy, whoever you want to talk about. Like, all these guys were so involved in the passing game. And that was in addition to the sort of work on the ground that we hope Clyde can get in these great matchups against a brand Staley defense who's more or less revolutionizing the idea that you don't need to stack the box to deal with the run in the first place. So, you know, Clyde, I think he's just a low-end RB2 at really best here moving forward. He's going to score some touchdowns because he's in the Chiefs offense, but you know we're not getting just a ton of goal-line carries. It's kind of like Tampa Bay. They score a ton of points too, but when they get inside the five, they're usually throwing the ball, or you know Mahomes is pretty prone to take off uh, on his own. So really, we have the arguable QB1, wide receiver one, tight end one, Mahomes, Tyreek, and Kelsey. I understand. I probably put Devontae ahead of Tyreek, but you guys can imagine, and this does just set up as the inevitable Tyreek bounce back spot. We've had back-to-back disappointing games. We know it. Tyreek knows it. Mahomes knows it. I think it will be early and often they try to get him involved. You know, I don't really think there's like, I write a wide receiver cornerback column every week. I've done it for like four or five years at this point. Like I'm very familiar with these matchups, but the biggest thing I've learned from doing it for so long is that they don't matter as much as we think they do. Darius Slay, like, Steven Nelson, Avante Maddox, we can talk about these guys. It's Tyreek freaking Hill. Nobody in the league can check this dude when he and Mahomes are on the same page. If you are into this kind of thing and you do think Darius Slay is someone that we should be concerned about, just know he's only playing left cornerback this year. They have not asked him to shadow through three weeks. So Tyreek Hill, explosion spot. I think it's a great spot to target all these Chiefs pieces, man. They're they're just getting... You can tell against the Chargers. Like, Mahomes is out there screwing around, man. Like, he tried to throw a no-look touchdown pass to his wide-open guy down the middle. Um, It was some random – Marcus Kemp, I think it was. And he, like, hit him behind. It was just a dumb pass that could have been so much easier if he wasn't trying to show off because it's that easy for this freaking offense. Travis Kelsey is going on the Manning cast, not knowing who he's playing the next week, talking about how they're, you know, just running around. And honestly, man, there are a couple bad breaks, a couple better breaks, I should say, away from being 3-0 anyway. So the Chiefs – could not be less concerned about this offense turning things around. I think we could see that in a major way this week against an Eagles offense that defense that had absolutely zero answers for the Cowboys on Monday night football. Now, Dwayne on that Monday night football game, I watched it. I watched every snap and everything. I have no idea how Miles Sanders had two, two freaking carries all game. Like, have we ever seen something like this? No. Um, but yeah, it's like the thing, it just got out of hand really quickly and it just shows you um, because in the utilization report was already telling you that Miles Sanders was a really fragile back, meaning Kenneth Gainwell was getting all the two minute work. All the writing was on the wall. Um, despite the fact that we think of Miles Sanders in our head and we're like, oh, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Like he could juke somebody out and all this kind of stuff. Like they just don't use him that way. And that's what happened. When the game script got out of hand quickly, Miles Sanders was basically relegated to nothingness, um, just like the Eagles, because my Cowboys kicked their ass. And so, you know, hey, I got to get that in there because, you know, if Dallas doesn't kick ass very much, you guys, and you'll get to come back and totally, you know, throw it back in my face. Don't worry. It'll totally come back. Like I have to enjoy it early in the season. Um, just this lifelong, you know, suffering since like um, since 1995, basically um, in my life. But no, um, in all seriousness, like 
I still like the Eagles offense. Um, you know, I still like Hurts. I mean, he showed you like, look, that was a bad game for him. And he managed to pull through with some garbage time late, you know, and not be, you know, trash on the day. Um, and and then you've got a situation where, yes, Sanders is, is a problem. But I what I really like about the Eagles and what I would be focused on, you know, Ian, I'm still I know it wasn't a great game for Devonta Smith, but I'm still excited about Devonta Smith. If you look at him, you know, he handled over 30 percent of the targets again um, this past week. And I just think he has the chance to be. You know, like we've already talked about the alpha, this was the best game that we've seen for Jalen Rager from a target standpoint, but watching that game, um, like there was just really not any rhythm in my opinion to what was going on with Rager and with Hertz. Um, you know, it's something where I would definitely still lean to Devonta Smith is having the opportunity, man, Dallas Goddard, good God, like hit, like hit that man when he's open, golly, like that could have been. He was missed. That was probably a 30 yard play and maybe a touchdown that hurts missed him on when he was wide open. Dallas didn't seem very interested in covering Goddard, like from the very beginning of the game. They never are. They were like, yeah, it's almost like, we're just going to treat him like Gronk. Like we'll just let like, like the Falcons did Gronk, you know, we're going to let him run open. Um, But Goddard had a chance at a really big game, but of course, Zach Ertz, Zach Ertz comes in the submarine, all of Dallas Goddard's value as usual, which is why we can never trust Dallas Goddard as a top 12 tight end ever. Was good to see at Zach Urchiak back in action. No, he did not break a tackle last night, everybody. <laughs> Texans at the Bills. Buffalo opened as 17 and a half point favorites. That has chilled out just a tad down to 15 and a half. Game total is at 48. So, update in the league wide shadow coverage, you know, Pantheon. Tredavious White back to tracking number ones, apparently. He didn't do it in week one against the Steelers. Also didn't in 2020. So, that was expected. Also didn't uh, shadow in week two against the Dolphins did track Terry McLaurin in week three. So when you look at the Steelers, particularly at full health and even the Dolphins with Waddle and Parker, those are two offenses that there's not a super defined number one. I'm not shocked that he didn't do that with Terry though. I mean, that's a pretty one for one. If you look at the Washington offense and how important McLaurin is, Brandon Cooks in Houston, I am expecting Tredavious to do the similar coverage and go for it. Hey, just because Tredavious White is on Brandon Cooks doesn't mean we need to fade the guy, people. Terry still went four catches, 62 yards last week. Brandon Cooks is just fine. 25 targets over the last two weeks. I would just curb expectations. I wouldn't be throwing Cooks, you know, all over the place in DFS lineups because Tredavious White is that good. That's how we use matchups. It's, you know, adjust your ceiling, adjust your floor. Don't necessarily move the guy 10 spots up or down your ranks just because you think he's going to be seeing a certain cornerback a little bit more than some other guys. But the one thing I wanted to bring up with this, I thought this was brilliant from my guy, Matt Kelly, AKA the pod father was happy enough to be a guest on his podcast. Uh, today you can check that out on my Twitter I went ahead and retweeted it but Matt had a great point and he called it the Tom Savage corollary and basically what this is is in 2017 when Deshaun Watson got hurt we basically got an equal eight game splits more or less of the of DeAndre Hopkins with Watson and with Tom Savage and we saw in those splits that he was just as good with Watson as he was with Tom Savage because the extra extra targets he got with Tom Savage outweighed the loss in efficiency with Watson Backup quarterbacks, man, they zero in on their wide receiver one. And we have not really seen anyone do that as much as Davis Mills and Brandon Cook so far. So Tyra being out, it dooms, I think, any chance of this offense having any high end outcomes like this is just a nightmare spot in Buffalo. But man, Brandon Cooks with double digit targets. You know, I haven't done my rankings quite yet either, Dwayne, but it's we're not going to be able to rank 30 guys ahead of them and it might not even be 20. 
Yeah, I would definitely challenge that. I think there's something called that I've looked at where it was much bigger than Tom Savage to where I look at quarterbacks. Really, this is going to sound weird, like this is fantasy. Quarterbacks do not matter as much as people think for their fantasy production. However, at the outer edges, they do matter. Meaning when you get a really crappy one or you have one having a really good year, obviously that's directly tied to the receiver. But when you have a really bad one, it, it really can weight down your receiver. And so like for me, Brandon, Brandon Cooks is a sell high. I still like him, but do I think he's going to finish in the top 12 receivers of this year? No. Do I think he's going to finish in the top 24? I think he'll struggle to do that. I think he will be a wide receiver three when the year's all said and done, even though he has a big head, head start. And that's not bad, but I think a lot of the reason he'll finish as a wide receiver three still will be because of the fast start that he's had. I do believe his quarterback play is potentially bad enough that it will matter. Um, yes, you can get by and there's always, there's always, you know, the examples of where there's exceptions to the rule. But historically speaking, if you get the really bad kind of quarterback play, and here's the question, Davis Mills may not fall into that category. And so that's where I would say, and Tom Savage definitely did fall into that category. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. He was absolutely terrible. So that is a good example that Matt brought up because there are certainly exceptions, but overall the worst type quarterbacks really do drag down, um, you know, the play of the receiver. Look, we saw, look, Josh Gordon, like think of the year, the huge year he had, who I can't even name all the quarterbacks he struggled through that season. So, I mean, there are Campbell days going on. (laughs) Yeah. I think there were three or four quarterbacks that year. Uh, I can't remember all of it, but um, as far as the bills go this week, look guys, Stefan Diggs. Yep. Yep. It's it's, I know it's a 16 and a half point favorite, which typically would push me off of a receiver a little bit. But in this case, we are talking about what, what's the name of the team that we're talking about? We're talking about the Buffalo <laughs> Bills, right? Yeah. The Buffalo Bills, you know what they think about the running game? They don't, they, they don't, they don't, they don't care. <laughs> they do not care. They don't think There's, about it. <laughs> they don't think about it at all. They're like, what's the running game? What is that? Yeah. So Stefan Diggs, it, normally like, a, you know, that would be enough to get me to just to, to let my foot off the gas a little bit, but Buffalo never lets their foot off the gas. So I'm not going to either. He has a 9.1 strength of schedule matchup, which is second best on the slate. He's got an 84.4 out of 100 wide receiver cornerback matchup. So that's one of the top two on the slate. Um, you've got a 32.25 implied point total. This is complete wills up. It will be really hard for me to not have uh, Stefan Diggs as the number one receiver in my rankings this week. He'll for sure be in the top three. So Diggs, I know you're going to start him anyway, but you've been waiting. I'm just letting you know, like it's coming. It's you're, you're about to, you're about to have your time. You're about to have your moment. Um, Beasley Sanders also have some pretty good matchups. Just, just super quick on the backs. Ian's like, God, Dwayne, I said one thing, not like 12 <laughs> things, but the, the backs, even though they don't run, we did see Moss slightly take the lead last week. We'll see what they do. They flip flop this crap, like all over the place last year. They would, they fooled us like every other week. Like, here's what we're doing. Not just kidding. It's really this guy. It's this guy, you know, finally towards the end of the season, it settled into a bit of a groove. So we'll see if that happens here. But Moss, you know, slightly edged out Singletary, and he looked pretty decent, Ian. You know, I mean, he he didn't look like super explosive or anything, but when I watched him, I was like, you know, for a player in this style of offense where the other team's completely worried about stopping the pass game, like, you know, maybe Moss has a little bit of something to him. But, again, all the implied points, being the favorite, those things weigh in. But, man, also the number 10 out of 10. RB strength of schedule and offensive line, run, offensive line run blocking advantage of a 54, which is number two on the week. So Zach Moss, um, I can't guarantee you he's going to get the work. Um, you could even say, hey, well, I'll just do a contrarian bet on Singletary. You could do that too. They both check four boxes 
um, out of the five that I like to see checked for running backs um, when thinking about DFS. There we go. Okay, Zach Moss, all those, you know, best ball teams from July before we got off them. Just just loving this now. We'll take it. Only other thing I'll add with Stefan Diggs, and we talked about this on our Sunday, you know, game review pod where like it could have easily been last week where the blow up happened. Overall, he had the fifth most unrealized air yards in all of week three. And all that means people is just basically, you know, he left 95 yards out there on the table where he just wasn't able to catch those balls, but he had every opportunity to do so. Usually when you have a player as good as Stefan Diggs, those sort of things don't take all that long to reverse themselves. Big time matchup in Dallas Panthers at the Cowboys. Vegas is not impressed with Carolina's start. Cowboys are sitting as five point favorites. Game total is at 50. And yeah, so I would say for all Chuba Hubbard stuff you guys want to know, check out the waiver wire pod. Dwayne and I go through that, you know, suggested fab and all that. Basically, upside RB2, chance to be an RB1. We are largely buying the idea that he can be, you know, as was the rallying cry from Mike Davis last year, like 90% CMC. That's what we're hoping for. No one's replacing CMC, but we can get upside RB2 out of it if he can just basically get the volume and not be a complete, you know, POS with it. And any of us would love to be just half of Superman. You know, I mean, come on. That's all. That's all we're asking. The big topic, the controversial topic, Robbie Anderson. Now, I would say, people, I know it sucks when you have your Thursday night. Everything feels so good going to every week of football. And you had this Thursday night primetime game. Great matchup against the Texans. You know, maybe we went to bed early. You're looking at your phone Friday morning, waiting to see that Robbie Anderson, you know, production pop up. And you're incredibly disappointed. But it's been one true dud. Two weeks ago, it wasn't great. I think he had three catches, 38 yards, bomb touchdown in week one. Different usage. I get it. DJ Moore is now the, you know, alpha number one. Last year, this was much more of a 1A, 1B situation. But also last year, it was more of a 1A, 1B situation because Christian McCaffrey was out of the picture. Christian McCaffrey is once again out of the picture, at least in the near near term. And when you look at the schedule that has enabled Sam Darnold to be someone making me eat my words on an every week basis, we got the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Vikings, the Giants, and the Falcons, man. I'm not saying every single one of those is a cakewalk. We got Trayvon Diggs out there and the Cowboys. Giants have multiple good corners. But, man, with Robbie Anderson, I think people might be cutting bait just a little bit too soon. You got to do what you got to do in certain situations. Injuries all over the place, you know. It is what it is. But we had Matt Rule say the following on Friday about Robbie. We have to get Robbie going as an offense against the Saints. We kind of had a couple deep shots to him. We didn't quite connect on. If you watch the tape last night, he's open quite a bit, and the ball's not getting to him, and the ball's being spread around to a lot of different people. What do we say, Dwayne? Squeaky wheel gets the grease. I think this is the week that Robbie Anderson gets a lot more on his plate. Now, I would say this. Trayvon Diggs did not shadow Devontae Smith. He did shadow Keenan Allen. So it's either going to be Trayvon sticking to the left cornerback spot because this dude is balling out this year, or he's going to go travel with DJ Moore. Either way, we're liking that outcome for Robbie Anderson. So I love Robbie as a bounce back in DFS this week. I know he's a risky start, but if I'm getting some start sit questions, but Robbie versus a bunch of other Jags, you know, wide receiver four, wide receiver five types, I am going to go back to the well one more time with Robbie because I do think he's good at the game they just signed him long term like a month ago man he's not just going to disappear from this offense don't be too quick to give up on Robbie Anderson am I I crazy Dwayne no no no. thank you he's out there plenty and look we've talked about it before but teams will shift their focus and they're going to try to take away DJ Moore and that's when the the Panthers offense is designed to say okay you take this away we're going to take this and that 
most likely thing is going to be Robbie Anderson and he's going to hit a couple of big plays. And that's the beauty of it. It only takes a couple of those plays for the defense to be like, Oh crap, we can't forget about Robbie Anderson. Then guess what happens? Hey, DJ Moore's open again, back underneath in the intermediate. So it's funny. This game is a chess is a chess game and everybody's moving all their pieces around the board. And so Robbie Anderson, yeah, he's not like a queen chess piece. You can't move him every way. He's probably, you know, um, you know, he's definitely not a pawn though. Like he's, he's somewhere, like a, he's like a rook. He's a good, solid. Yeah. Rook. Yeah. That's actually a good one. Yeah. That's a good one because yeah, you got that vertical, <laughs> you can go vertical. Let's go. Uh, Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, I think a situation where you are going to see some of these games pop up, you know, for Anderson, I do agree. It's too early to cut bait on him. Um, but, but I think he, because more is such an alpha now and the way they're using him, um, I think more, I mean, Robbie Anderson is more of a wide receiver four with wide receiver three upside, can give you some wide receiver two weeks. He's going to have some – he'll have a wide receiver one or two game, right, because he all for him it just takes two catches, right, and and then you get 80 yards and two touchdowns. So those those are coming, but it's it's to be, it's TBD. Like, is he really more of a Marquise Valdez-Scantling now? Is it that bad? I don't think so. I don't think it's that bad. So I think he's got more talent than a guy like MVS. So um, real quickly on the Cowboys, you know, I won't spend a ton of, um, you know, time on them, but I mean, it's look, this whole thing with Zeke um, and Tony Pollard. I mean, it's just getting closer and closer um, to looking like a timeshare. Basically what the Cowboys are saying now is if you do invite us to run the ball, we're going to split the work, the, the work up. If we end up in a game where we're in a shootout and we have to be passing all the time, it's going to be more than likely Zeke on the field for the most, for almost all the time. That's what we saw with the Bucs. We've seen it for short stints in these other games where they've gone more um, into like, not, they haven't used a ton of the two minute offense. When they get into their long down and distance and they want to go a little faster, they're using Zeke more in that situation. And a lot of it is them trusting him in the pass protection, not so much him getting a ton more catches, but he is getting a little bit more opportunity. Um, but I think you guys can all see, like, yes, Pollard's explosive, but Zeke can still be a very valuable asset, you know, down inside the five, inside the 10. You know, and he's running determined and you're on a really good offense. So even if Zeke is just, you know, say 80 to 90%, which we, we had him pretty much as an avoid this preseason, but even if he is 80 to 90% of what you thought when you drafted him in round one, you're on a good enough offense that you just can't don't bell, don't bell. Um, now, and this is one where our metrics slowly adjust over time and the Panthers defense is looking really good. So uh, at first glance, I've got to dig into this one some more Ian. So I've actually would welcome your thoughts. If you have any, um, you know, your spread, um, you're favored. That looks good for Zeke. You've got the total looks good at 50 and a half. Um, and then offensive line run blocking advantage versus Carolina's defensive line right now is ranked as a top two matchup for the week for the week. Um, I'm not sure that's the case with Lael Collins out and with how much we've seen from um, the Panthers defense. Now the Cowboys like destroyed the Eagles this last week. Like they just shoved and they have a pretty good defensive line with some beef in the middle and the Cowboys really like went to work on them. You know, the Panthers really are, if you look at them, like they're a nightmare for passers. I don't know how much they've truly been tested yet this season, right. By a a good ground game. And so it'll be interesting to see what the Carolina Panthers do. Do they invite Dallas to run? And if they do, what does that matchup end up looking like? Right now, our data says that's a pretty good matchup. It's a 5.9 on the strength of schedule, which is going to put you in the top 10, and you're going to have a top three uh, offensive line matchup. And so I think that puts Zeke in a good position to score a touchdown, you know, um, 
could potentially score two touchdowns. So I think Zeke's going to be in my top 10 this week, but I'm a little leery just because, man, watching this Panthers defense, I'm really intrigued. I will just say this, man. Like, as much crap as we kind of give Darnold, it's it's weird that, like, we're not believing in Darnold for beating up on the Jets, Saints, and Texans, but we are believing in the Panthers' defense for beating up on the Jets, Saints, and Texans. Like, <laughs> Zach so Wilson, so Jameis, and freaking, you know, not even Tyrod. They got Davis Mills in his first uh, career start. So, they've played fantastic. They haven't, you know, they allowed 252 total yards week one, 128 in week two, 193 in week three. Like, you cannot find a stat that paints them as anything other than a bad defense, but you also probably couldn't dream up a better start for their uh, season either. So this week will tell us a lot, I think, for both the Panthers' offense and defense. Look forward to seeing the game. Browns at the Vikings. Kevin Stefanski revenge game going on here. Cleveland opened up as one-point favorites. That's gone up to two. Game total sitting at 52 and a half. So funny, Dwayne, for months in the offseason, Odell Beckham Jr. is chastised as someone that makes the Browns offense worse, as someone that we don't even need to touch in fantasy land. A wide receiver three, so they said. One game, he comes in, he looks like himself, and now everyone's rushing to move him back up as an upside wide receiver too. <laughs> Who could have possibly seen this coming? Uh, we did, you know, and I'm not going to believe me. We don't need to go through every single thing that's been said over the past four months. That's why oh, we, like, don't? we don't like, like, look, it's hard. Not like when you took, when we talk for like 10 hours on this pod, it's hard not like to victory lap. Cause we're talking about uh, these guys and just having fun with it. But like, that's why on Twitter, I'm not quote tweeting myself from July. Every time something good happens, because I don't want, to have people like, oh, yeah, you, you think you're hot shit? Like, let me bring you down a peg and go through everything you said all the time. So I think it needs to go both ways you when you're trying to those do people, that. Ian. You dispute those people. They don't exist. <laughs> That's the other strategy. But anyway, all preseason calls aside, OBJ looked very good uh, last week. The Jarvis target problem is gone. The wild thing with OBJ, he actually caught shadow coverage from Jalen Johnson, who might not sound like much to a lot of you out there. But I believe through the first two weeks, P. FF single highest graded corner and it could have been even bigger for OBJ he had a real nice catch on the sideline but unfortunately the ball took him out of bounds like if Baker just puts it on the money we're talking a legit 40 yard score on top of that performance so they are treating him as the alpha number one that he is and oh my goodness this is the best case matchup imaginable people in three games we've only had three games but here are the numbers against Bashad Breeland and Patrick Peterson 34 targets in their coverage, 28 catches allowed, 439 yards allowed, six touchdowns. Passer ratings allowed 157.2 and 157.9. OBJ is going to get to go off against whichever one of these frauds that he chooses. I'm expecting a blow-up performance from OBJ in Minnesota. Gotta love it. And also, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, both top 10 fantasy backs. They are number one and number two in fantasy points over expectation because they're both awesome, and the Browns offense is pretty awesome too. So, Chubb, you're still starting in every single lineup. We would think Hunt would show out a little bit, but, man, more and more, just we just got to start the guy and expect him to find a way inside of one of the game's best offenses to find the scoring chances because, man, he keeps freaking doing it. I'm not going crazy with it, but, you know, as someone that I've been bumping on my top 24 running backs a few weeks here and there, I think we got to make a real concerted effort to get him inside that, and if not, you know, significantly higher even. So, Dwayne, any thoughts on the Browns or just feel free to talk up Justin Jefferson and company? No, man, I actually, I've got a, you know, I've got to pat you on the back, Ian, because, oh, thanks, man. you know, you were 100% correct. I, I remember someone with the first initial I, last initial 
initial H said something about, look, guys, if you go out and you end up with one of the rookie quarterbacks, Fields or Lance, we won't talk about that part of the conversation. But the guy that you need to pair them with is none other than one Kirk Cousins. Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. Well, how's Captain Kirk looking this season? Oh, uh, week one was number quarterback 13. You got to bring up he got robbed. He threw an extra touchdown on week one, and they didn't give <laughs> it to Jefferson. We're bringing this he up did. every pod. Which I think would have put him in like nine because it was jumbled up. But he, quarterback eight, week two. Quarterback six, week three. And he's, he's sitting at quarterback six on the season. So, wow, that was a great call by you, Ian. Um, so um, when I look at Cousins, I, you know, I don't know where your thoughts are on him now, but I, I think he's a high-end QB too. You know, he's still going to be susceptible to these games like when they get through this stretch. He's going to be susceptible to these games where if you let them just run the ball, believe me, Mike Zimmer will just run the ball. <laughs> like he, he, will, he will tell – um, you know, Clint Kubiak, you know, these coaches' sons. It's, it's like I want to go to their dad's names, but Clint with a K, not just Cliff with a K, Cliff Kingsbury and Clint Kubiak. We've got the two KK guys. Clint with a K. Uh, yeah. So, um, but here's the nice thing like about what I'm seeing with this offense. You know, when I wrote up the utilization report today that I didn't realize, you know, about the Vikings. Um, last year, if you remember early in the season, oh my gosh, you know, like the, the play volume was so terrible. Like it, you're talking like 55 plays a game. Now they were efficient, but there was no volume. And then you saw that slowly pick up towards the end of the year and really Clint's kept that going. Clint Kubiak's kept that going. So their plays per game are sitting at four. Now that's, that's inflated because they've had, you know, the overtime play. Uh, but if you look at their time of possession, it's sitting at 10, their plays per minute is right around the league average, which you're like, Oh, who cares Dwayne? Like, like it's a big deal. Like they were normally down towards the bottom. If you can just get to the average, that's huge for Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, right? If you can be around 65 plays a game instead of down in the high fifties, you know, you get an extra, you know, seven to 10 plays every single week. And then you add that up over a season, that's 170 plays over 17 games. Half of those are going to be passes. So half of those are targets that then get split up to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, who are the funnels for the offense. You know, Justin Jefferson sitting at 26% of the targets, 22% of the targets so far to Adam Thielen. But who gets all of the end zone targets? Oh, well, we know Adam Thielen gets 50 freaking percent. But Justin Jefferson is moving up in that lane. 33% of the end zone targets have gone to Justin Jefferson. 27% of third and fourth down targets split up evenly. 27% to Jefferson, 27% to Adam Thielen. So both guys uh, looking really good. I actually moved um, Jefferson today, Ian, up in my rest of the season rankings, which I am now publishing in my utilization report every week. And whenever I walk through each team, I give a quick update on my rest of the season projections by, uh, you know, each position on the team. And I have, Je I have Justin Jefferson now at my wide receiver five Ooh. for the rest of the season. Um, just looking at the rest of the schedule and mainly, man, just looking at the utilization. I don't, the schedule matters, but it just doesn't matter as much to me as talent and utilization. And Justin Jefferson, he has both of those things. So super excited. Um, last thing, you guys don't need me to tell you this, but Alexander Madison, he's a top 12 running back. Any week he gets to start. Dalvin Cook's a top three running back. Any week he gets to start. So just keep doing the math there. You can take care of yourself. Yeah, it was, it was there's was a moment I'm trying, I'm looking through the play-by-play -play right now. There's a moment last week where I was like, oh, these aren't your same old uh, Vikings here to an extent because I think it was in the fourth quarter they needed a complete – yeah, okay. Fourth quarter, they're up two scores, third and eight on their own 45. 
Like, what are they going to do? They're just going to run the ball and punt. No, they called an out route to Justin Jefferson. Kirk hit him for 11 yards. They were able to Dwayne, uh, drain, not Dwayne, drain another uh, <laughs> two two minutes off the clock and get out of there with a win. Like, I think they understand how freaking good Jefferson is. Ooh. And Kirk, to be fair, when he's bizarre, bizarro land, this is bizarro land. So (laughs) guess who owns the third most plays so far this season and 10 personnel. That's with four receivers. Your Minnesota Vikings. Who's even the fourth one out there behind? I don't even know. Don't ask me. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's it on, Os- I mean, is, is it Westbrook or is Westbrook <laughs> even back? I don't know. Osborne's the three. But part of it is when you have Kyle Rudolph move along and then you have Irv Smith out for the season. But it's, it's nice to see that from a coach that says, you know, we don't really have two good tight ends. Sorry, Chris Herndon. Um, we have one okay one, Conklin. Um, so let's just use four receivers more. So, I mean, to me, that's like hat tip to coaching because I, I'd rather see that than the coaches are like, no, you must run my scheme. You must do exactly what, you know, I think. Um, so I, I think that's a pause. I think these are all positives for the Vikings offense. What we're seeing from Cousins, what we're seeing in the passing game, the way we're seeing them call plays, the type of personnel they're using. I think these things all add up to me thinking, okay, maybe we've got a little more progressive offense from the Vikings here in 2021. Chris Herndon, slander aside, all good things, Mr. McFarland. <laughs> Colts at the Dolphins, Miami, 1.5 point favorites, 43 and a half point game total. This one's ugly. This is the second lowest game total of the week, only ahead of Lions and the Bears. But I think there could be one redeeming player for those that are just asleep for the Tuesday NFL news cycle. Marlon Mack, who was a healthy scratch last week, is apparently seeking a trade and getting the Colts to help him. I'm not sure what the market's like for a uh, you know running back returning off of a freaking Achilles injury. But hey, Mack was healthy enough to get out there this year. I, I wish him the best. For fantasy purposes, though, this is just great news for Jonathan Taylor. It has been rough sledding people, but this is just one of these things where enough touches are going to come and we are going to see this correct its course because despite the O-line injuries, despite once being worse, Taylor is still getting fed. He is tied right now with Mike Davis as guys with the most touches without a score. 50 touches for Jonathan Taylor, more inside the five-yard line, obviously, than anyone else. He will find his way to the end zone. I think it could be this week. In week one, Damon Harris, 23 carries, 100 yards against the Dolphins. Week two, Singletary converted 13 to 82 in a score. Zach Moss had two touchdowns. Week three, Peyton freaking Barber, 23 carries, 111 yards, and a score. Are you telling me Peyton Barber can get over 100 on this D on 20 carries? Like, Jonathan Taylor should just have Peyton Barber's stat line, like, just taped to his ceiling. So it's the first thing he wakes up and has to see every day. Like, this is it, man. I've lost so much money on Jonathan Taylor on DraftKings last two weeks, thinking it was going to be the blow-up. I'm going back to the well here. This is, right now, one of the only teams in the league I think we could reasonably expect the Colts to, I don't know, build a lead against. I know they're one-and-a-half-point dogs. It's not looking good. But, man, it's not really looking good against anyone when you're starting QB. He has two sprained ankles. So, Michael Pittman, I think, at this point, has you know earned his way into the probably low-end wide receiver three spot. But even then, most, most of our sick questions, particularly against the league, single best cornerback duo, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, I would probably try to look elsewhere. So, give me Jonathan Taylor. If you're in a bind and you need Naeem Hines in PPR, it's fine. But like, Dwayne, it's just so hard to predict, man. He could just as easily have one carry for two targets as he could eight of each and find his way into the end zone. So 
maybe not a more like game script dependent player than the scat back, like number two guy, like your Heinz, your McKissicks, you see them popping up on the leaderboards. You think, Hey, I need to get this guy and start them. And then they just send you straight to hell with one of their vintage three touch performances. So all the Jonathan Taylor this week, we're going back to the well. And that's pretty much all I got on the cold. <laughs> yeah. Look, if you're, I think this is like the matchup is not great, but to your point, like what, what better chance do they have to build a lead? Right. And it is this week against Miami. And that really is what's gone wrong um, in some of these cases so far this year with Jonathan Taylor. It's really been more about the game script. Look, we, as much as we give Jonathan Taylor a hard time, we're not giving Jonathan Taylor a hard time. We're just giving folks a hard time that want to completely ignore the fact that Naheem Hines is really good at his job. That's really all we're, we're giving a hard time to. But when you look at these backs um, and you look at Taylor, you know, I mean, it's nice that Max now, like to your point, out of the picture. Um, and I, Taylor's still a high-end RB2. But I mean, whenever you look at, you know, the Colts this season, um, you know, um, let's see. They have been a, they've been above average run rate in all situations still in. So whether they're leading, whether they're close or whether they're trailing they're they've been above the league average. So trailing run uh, rate, they're ranked 14th out of 32 teams. So that's above 16. Um, they're 10th when it's close and they're fourth when they're leading. So that's all you're waiting for. And guess what? You know how often um, like last week they didn't get to use their, you know, their game script where they're leading by over three points. Like the game just, you know, didn't work out the right way. So this is a week to your point to use um, Jonathan Taylor. Now I know I have the dolphins, so I'll move on, <laughs> um, but we'll just keep it simple, you know, for the dolphins, um, you know, while Brissett, you know, I think you called it a gritty performance was, yes, was the, the, the hardest terminology, which I, I approve of. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Um, you know, it's still just really a downgrade to everyone. You've now got more mouths to feed. You know, um, they're going to try to figure out ways to win these games. But really, if you're looking at Brissett, um, right now, I'm just really, if I were to start anyone out of this passing game, in, it would be the players that run between the numbers. So it would be um, Jalen Waddle. It would be Mike Gusecki. Um, and I wouldn't be that excited about Gusecki because we've he's game script dependent. They have games where they plan on using Gusecki. They have other games where they're like, we're not using Gusecki. Um, so, and I, I have not cracked the code on what that looks like. Um, I've tried looking at it based on like the way our matchups data um, works. I've tried looking at it all sorts of ways. I have not been able to break the Mike Gesicki code. So I'm done trying. I'm just going to avoid him. If you would like to use him, I would only advise it, you know, in like D, you know, DFS type situations where, you know, Hey, you're going to spring, you're going to use the same lineup and build it with three different tight ends in the same price range. Gesicki being one of them. And you're just hoping one of the three pop, like that's the kind of profile he really fits, but I'm not interested in using Mike Gesicki in season long, if I can help, you know, to avoid it. Um, but we could see a slight uptick. Don't come back at me next week and say, hey, Dwayne, you said he was going to be awesome. I'm just saying, look, from what I've seen from Bissett so far, he is throwing inside the numbers. Um, the only other thing I'll say, a nice little development. It's just, it's little, but it's good. Like Salvin Ahmed, like his role was really reduced last week. Only That's played sick. 6% of the snaps. And so with him leaving behind the 35% of the attempts he had in week two, that allowed Miles Gaskin to get to 62%. We've already talked about Gaskin being pretty solid in the passing down role. Now getting more of the work in the rushing role. And then guess what happens? Oh, just kidding, Miles Gaskin. Malcolm Brown, you're our two-minute back now because oh we just God. gave – is it not maddening? 
you know, the utilization report, I always wake up and I'm so excited about writing it. And I know I joke about how long it takes, but there's so much cool stuff in it. But when I get to the dolphins, like it is always, I'm like, damn it. Like there's not like nothing matches. Like there's nothing I can give the people. I'm just like, all I can basically do is tell you, look, I'm looking at it and here's what happened. And I don't know what it means for next week. All I know is that there's not a trend. There's not a pattern. I was super excited. I got to my first column. I'm like, Salvin Ahmed down. Miles Gaskin up. Long down in distance. Still got it. Two minute snaps gone. No. What the hell, man? Come on. Yeah, so sorry. Malcolm Brown, one of many backup running backs throughout the league. That's fine. I'm sure he's a very nice person. He's a does his role as well as you could hope for. But damn it, man, they piss us off when they take away these snaps from the guys that we actually have rostered on the old fantasy squad. Only other thing I would say people to maybe keep an eye on, Will Fuller, they threw him that bomb in overtime, and he was slow to get up, and it looked like he was kind of holding his cap. I yeah, think if it was, was something serious, they probably would have told us. But as we know with Will Fuller over the years, he does tend to get banged up maybe a little bit more than other guys. And God forbid the post-PED version of him isn't able to recover quite so quickly who knows either way people if we can get that waddle underneath target share with some air yards ceiling is the moon just give us one scene stretcher just That's one all. just one maybe two but you know at least one. we'll, we'll take two titans at the jets tennessee seven and a half point favorites game total at 46 uh yeah pretty pretty easy here derrick henry is once again on pace for 2,000 rushing yards thanks to the 17th game on a cool 521 touches. It's like the uh, Titans coaches, you know, saw that tweet with his high school game logs and was like, hey, it, it won them a state championship. Let's uh, see if it can win us a Super Bowl in real life. I'm actually not sure. You know, Ian, I think it's actually smart. Like, because like, what's the point? Like, they're gonna, they're gonna run out when they run out. Why not just go ahead and at this point, like, at his age he's at, just, just floor it. Floor it. I, yeah, I don't say anything I mean, wrong with it. I'm not, I'm not here complaining. I will say, I'm not sure if Henry won a state championship, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, who the hell would stop that guy? I don't think, yeah, I don't think he would even need a team. It would just be him. And with more catches than Alvin Kamara, with McCaffrey sidelined, with Dalvin Cook, at least probably starting the week out of the rankings, even if he was in the potential to be limited, King Henry is finally the king in fantasy football. I think he needs to be ranked because everyone's overall RB1 ahead of a spot that pits them with the best case game script. Seven and a half point favorites against the Jets defense. That is fine. But man, I just, again, we're not worried about this. Derrick Henry, he can run over just about anyone. Rest of the offense, Julio Jones comes in, projected as PFF's wide receiver 19 this week. You know, we will see Tannehill spread the ball around a little bit more. I'm not thinking Julio is going to all of a sudden be getting 12 to 15 targets per game. But at a minimum, with A.J. Brown out, I think we can kind of rank Julio where he was going, where you kind of expected him to be, and that is as an upside low-end wide receiver too. We're not getting the world beater Julio Jones version of old back. And I don't think so. I don't want to completely doubt him again. People should have had a touchdown in week two. We'll bring up him and Jefferson having those misses all season long. Uh, I do think that without AJB, you trade, you made the trade for the guy. I think Julio should be safely inside most people's top 20 receivers this week. Final note, Tannehill, like if people have been worried about him, I'm not, I'm not sure. I got asked that question from uh, Matt Kelly today. And he was like, Oh, what's the panic with Ryan Tannehill. If people are panicking, he is fine. He's our third highest graded passer this season. I feel like Tannehill, every time he has like even a mediocre game, everyone's like, oh, 
Is this when Miami Tannehill like starts to show back up again? It's been almost two and a half years now. Like, can we give the dude a freaking break and just admit that he's been a freaking awesome quarterback? Like since 2019, he's second in PFF passing grade among 63 qualified quarterbacks. He's first in yards per attempt, second in QB rating. Like he's been fantastic. Okay. He's a little bit more in the teens and big time throw rate, turnover worthy play rate. I'm not trying to make an argument that Tannehill is a legit top five quarterback, but he's really freaking good. And every time he has a little bit of an off day and we don't need to go at the dude's uh, neck about it. So Henry, the RB one Julio top 20 receiver Tannehill. He's the borderline QB one that he's largely been for the better part of the last two and a half years. Dwayne, you got anything on the jets? Maybe they can score a touchdown. I just want to note that you've, I've had to have the saints and the dolphins and the jets, but anyway, yeah, yeah my, my fault, <laughs> my fault. You wrote the NFL schedule. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would just say Corey Davis. Look like if you like Brandon cooks and, and you think Brandon cooks is a solid wide receiver three, Corey Davis is the same thing. He's a crappy quarterback on an offense. that's not very good. The Texans have managed to look better so far than the jets, but I promise you they're closer together than what people think right now. the, the mascara and all that's going to wash off eventually on the Texans and we're going to see it and it's just not going to look good. It's going to be bad. So um, I'm concerned about them. Um, And the Jets are the same thing. So, I mean, when you look at Corey Davis, um, I think he's a guy that, you know, he's going to see somewhere between eight and 10 targets every week and he could still be a wide receiver three for you. It's not a terrible matchup this week against um, the Titans. So if you own him, you can fire him up as a wide receiver three, maybe your second flex spot, something like that. Um, Elijah Moore will have to keep an eye, we'll have to keep an eye on. He had a concussion uh, in that game. Um, and even though he like wasn't like scoring a ton of fantasy points, it, it sucks, man, because he was really seeing his most usage of the season. He missed the last five drives, uh, last four, last five. He was at 18 percent of the targets already, um, you know, and obviously he was at a higher percentage when it, because they continued to throw the ball and it went down from there. So he was he was on pace to have like a 25 to 28 percent target share game. He had a 26 percent target share game the week before. So they're getting closer. Like it's just some of those connections just need to happen. And I think we're probably going to see a little bit from Elijah Moore. I'm not saying you guys got to like light candles and, and wait on him and, you know, hope that he's going to hit. But if you do have him roster and you're in deeper type format, I mean, just, just let him sit there. There's no need to rush to cut him. I don't think because he is being used more than he has been in the past. So I'll leave it at that. Hopefully he gets out of that concussion protocol with a sense of urgency. Number one receiver in like underachieving expected points this year, Elijah Moore. Disappointing. Like you said, Dwayne usage was starting to get there. Unfortunately, couldn't cash in on it. Hopefully Elijah rebounds. And, you know, I'm not writing off Zach Wilson, these guys just yet. Let's this week's going to tell us a lot about, I think the jets and the Panthers, because just as easy as the Panthers opening stretch has been, the jets has been on the complete other wavelength. I mean, okay. I, I know I said the Panthers defense, I'm not necessarily crowning them yet. As Dennis green would say at the same time, like we know Brian Burns and company can at least provide a more than solid, pass rush. I mean, that's the one part of that defense. I think we can feel good about. So Zach Wilson got to start against them. Then he got the Bill Belichick treatment in week two. Then he got to go out to Denver to face off against Vic Fangio and the Broncos top ranked scoring defense in week three. So he gets the Titans, he gets the Falcons and we get a bye week. Let's see. Let's see how we feel about the Jets after these two manageable uh, matchups. Next game, we got the Lions at the Bears. Oh, my. Chicago three-point favorites opened at 44, down to 42 and a half. Dwayne shakes his head and just looks angry. Uh, Jared Goff, 
everyone is terrified of going downfield and, and that's fine, honestly, but here's some stats to back it up. Highest percentage of yards to come after the catch in the NFL, 6.2 yard average target depth, 31st among 35 guys. The result, DeAndre Swift is your PPR RB3. Jamal Williams is your PPR RB11. Like, pay attention, Washington. Pay attention, Jets. Like, you can be a bad team and still give us fantasy-relevant players if you just condense it the way we all want you to. So, you know, Hawkinson had a bad game last week. I thought you summed it up very well, you know, in the aftermath on Sunday night. It'll probably be his worst game of the season. He had a dud. Players have duds that aren't named Travis Kelsey at the tight end position. So, Hawkinson, still top five guy at the position. Swift, Williams. Swift, you're firing up as a legit RB1 with this sort of pass down usage. It's just, and then the fact that he is as good as he is uh, is just all the much better. And even Jamal Williams, man, like the pristine flex with benefits guy. And I think we now we got to, you know, look at getting him maybe closer to that RB2 borderline as opposed to, you know, more in that upside RB3 mode. I, I think we'll stick with RB3 for another spot. I kind of do think that while Swift, I'm confident in being able to maintain the RB1 status, certainly not quite feeling that the same way with Jamal. A little bit more reliant on those goal line touchdowns that aren't going to be all that frequent inside this Detroit offense more weeks than not. So loving Swift, loving Hawkinson. Williams is fine. Don't touch the receivers. Don't touch golf. Dwayne, I'll say hey, this. You know man. what? You, yeah, you gave me the bears, but it's okay. This is the this week. This is a fun one. This is a bounce back. That's this what I'm is, saying. This That's is it. the week. Allen Robinson gets the top matchup from a wide receiver strength of schedule standpoint, right? Gets the number one matchup on our wide receiver cornerback matchup tool. I know it isn't everything, but I love when you get those two things to match up overall together, and they're both like – super green they're not just green they're like as green as green can be on my screen you know so it makes me think of christmas so i think of alan robinson i think of christmas i think of opening presents man i'm just excited i i hope this is his week um you know i i'm gonna try in this week to get alan robinson into my top 24 um because i just you know he deserves it he deserves better you know and you know what um naggy just let justin Fields start this game against detroit like just come on you made him go up against the Bears. Let him play against the, the Browns, freaking Lions. Play. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. The the Browns. Like you basically couldn't even scramble because he was being sacked before he could take off by Miles Garrett. Like that that'll happen. Um. So yeah, just you know, give him a shot. Give him a shot this week. Um. The other one is really good matchup is for David Montgomery. You know, it's the from an from an uh, running back strength schedule standpoint. It's an eight point three out of ten. Which looking just eyeballing this because I haven't ranked everything. That looks like number four this week. Um. And you get a thirty nine on the offensive line run blocking advantage, which looks like it's probably around like number five or six this week. So David Montgomery also in a good spot. And if you look at him, man. The thing with Montgomery, man, 83% of the rushing attempts last week. It's basically all David Montgomery, and then it was Justin Fields. It was hardly, actually not hardly, 0% of the rushing attempts to Damian Williams. The Damian Williams experiment has gone from 43% snaps, 23% snaps, to 16% snaps. So this has really been all about David Montgomery. And remember, last week, that's getting um, blown out. You know, you had Montgomery getting to stay out there um, long down and distance. Montgomery's handling over half of those now. So he's he was at uh, he's at 62 percent for the year. The only thing that Damian Williams is getting is 100 percent of the two minute offense. Um, and the two minute offense is only worth about 20 percent of where a running backs PPR points come from. So really, if you look at it, 
I would say Montgomery is right at, you get 50% of your targets typically come on first and second down. And then if you look at long down and distance, you get another 20%. He's getting 60% of that. So I would say like he's out there. I mean, and the routes tell you, I mean, he's been out there 60% of the routes, 76% of the routes last week. Montgomery's routes have gone from 44 to 61 to 76%. So this is a sweet spot for David Montgomery. I would use David Montgomery. I don't know what his ownership is going to look like on DFS. It's probably going to be decent because of the matchup. Because people tend to, when they see that green on the matchup, like the average person like starts jamming them in their lineup. But we'll see. Kev, you know, Kevin Cole and the team will have us covered on projecting what those owners, those roster ships look like for this weekend. Um, but David Montgomery. So Montgomery, Allen Robinson bounce back spots, honorable mention. I have to give it to Darnell Mooney just because, man, like Ian, like if you had told me Mooney was going to get the utilization that we've seen this year, I would have said like you were smoking crack or whatever. You pick like what you would have been smoking. I'm not going to force that on you. You can tell me what you're <laughs> what you would have been smoking. Uh, but 96% of the routes, man, 96%, 24% of the targets like that. Dude, I I had Mooney projected for like 18 to 17% of the targets this year. He's sitting at 24%, has 35% of the air yards, leads the team. End zone targets, 40%. I mean, you're, everybody's laughing. They're like, well, how many can there be? Like two? Like, how do you split those up? I don't know. Like, it's just, you know, I split them up. Um, and so play action targets, and eh, you know, okay. You know, Matt Nagy's offense is still kind of living like too far behind. But um, Still, 24% of the targets, 96% of the routes, getting a lot of air yards. Darnell Mooney, you know, he could catch fire, like, if they just get the right matchup, get the quarterbacks going. I'm not saying the quarterbacks are going to work, but you got to give him honorable mention. I at least got to throw him out there. You know, I hated when people were talking about the Ezekiel Elliott by low window. The Ezekiel Elliott by low window, other than your rare exception, is closed because it's always been closed because everyone has always wanted Ezekiel Elliott. I think with David Montgomery, man, if you can go get him as the kind of low-end RB2 he's been this year, go get him. Because, yeah, Dwayne, we were super concerned after the Rams game because Montgomery looked great. He had some big runs. But Damian Williams was coming in almost like in the Tariq Cohen role. Now we're back to late-season 2020 usage with Montgomery being the receiver. Now he, We know he's capable of. It's just a matter of getting those targets, which he should be getting in a game where the Bears have more than 47 total yards. So Montgomery and another running back we'll get to, I think, are the two top by-low candidates at the position. Did you see the tweet right today, Ian, about uh, – or it might have been yesterday – um, oh, no. but it, I was on with Rotoviz this morning. They brought it up. I hadn't seen it, but I was like, Oh my God, I got to find it. But it was something, I think it was, it was along the lines of Justin Tucker, his kick, like had 14 more yards of offense, oh, I think yeah. than like <laughs> the pairs or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what the exact number was, oh. but I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to go check this out. Got him. Yeah. It was again, horrendous by everyone involved, but that usage from Montgomery moving the right direction. And yeah, I, I usually don't look at uh, too many salaries on DraftKings until Thursday, but I was going through some stuff today, prepping for a podcast and Robinson Montgomery, even fields bounce back 5,200. As long as Naki does the right freaking thing and starts the man I'm all in. This is the perfect get right spot against that lion's D next matchup. we got the football teams at the Falcons. Atlanta opened as one point favorites as flipped to Washington. Now minus one and a half game total is at 48. So, Hey, Terry McLaurin, all the targets. I'm happy that Heineke, even in a rough game against the bills that, Hey, going into bills mafia, like we weren't expecting him to come out of that with a win made a couple bad throws late throwing across his, across his body on an interception or two also continue to make some really good ones, man. He's, 
at, at worst, he's not this, you know, backup quarterback that just tanks the offense and is afraid to do anything. I believe McLaurin, even if we had wide receiver one hopes and Fitzpatrick was going to feed him 170 targets, I still think he can salvage top 20 production more weeks than not with Heineke under center. So I'm feeling good about that. But of course, the main event is Antonio Gibson and Man, I don't want to make this a DFS show, but if I see people loading up on Chuba Hubbard, getting the bigger role, just go up 200 bucks to Antonio Gibson facing a Falcons defense that we've had Miles Sanders get a PPR RB 15 performance. Kenny Gamewell RB 24, Leonard Fournette RB 20, Saquon Barkley RB nine. The floor is RB two and the ceiling I don't think has been reached yet. So Gibson, you know, had the one target 76 yard score last week, had a second target. He dropped what would have been the second score. It's really just the identical situation to Indy. And you called this like a two months ago, Dwayne, because you're a smart person and I'm happy you're on my podcast and everything. <laughs> but Washington and Indy are literally just the same thing. Gibson and Taylor are borderline RB1s because they're the undisputed lead back in an okay offense, but they're not going to be the top five options we want them to be as long as Hines and McKissick threaten to come in and soup up all their, you know, comeback mode work basically during any given week. Now, Dwayne, we talked about this being, you know, a good bounce back spot for Allen Robinson, David Montgomery. Tell the people why week three, week four is truly your last chance to get in on the Kyle Pitts Express. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Pitts, everything is there. Um, you know, it's it's very hard for a tight end to be over eighty percent of routes. And it, it, so here's the thing: it tells you, like, what I found historically going back and looking at it. Occasionally, it will be wrong, and these things can. It, it, and what you'll see, though, if it's wrong, it'll trail off. It'll start. We'll talk about another player here in just a bit where I am seeing they started off really hot and it's trailed off and it could be, it could be a problem. But with Kyle Pitts, number one, we know he's the fourth pick overall. <laughs> so like, they're just not going to give up on him and they're not. So his routes have actually gone up every week. 80% of the time that they were passing, he was in a route week one, 81% week two, 88% week three, the targets have not, you know, come yet, but they will, they're going to come. It's really a two, um, you know, I, I would say it's a three, you know, person offense. It's really Calvin Ridley. You're working Corderell Patterson into your passing game now as well. And then you've got Kyle Pitts. Look, you're, you're not going to continue just to feed Corderell Patterson all the time. A lot of that work is going to end up going to Kyle Pitts. So it is, it, it's your last probably opportunity. I don't see how he can go another, it, it could happen. And you could all come back and be like, oh man, you said 80% rounds. Kyle Pitts sucks, Dwayne, just like your analysis. I know, but <laughs> if I'll come back and say the same thing next week, because this, this, this is something that goes back a long way. Like this is not something. So like Mark Andrews last week, I called any hit and that was great. We love it when, when our calls hit. But had he not hit, Ian, I would have felt the same way today. That's that's when you know you have the really strong analysis because you know that it's rooted and you've gone back and you've looked at it and you're like, look, like 95% of the time, like this, this is an indicator that it's going to work. It's not predictive. Doesn't mean I can tell you it's going to be next week. But overall, I have a really good feel that Kyle Pitts is still going to be a top six, probably tight end on the season. It's just a matter of when does that get kicked off and get rolling. Yeah, people don't be sleeping on the best tight end prospect we've had in what m millenniums, like hundreds and hundreds of years. And we finally, yeah. And the, inter the interesting thing, like, you know, when he's lining up in the slot, like, um, you know, he's doing really well. He's got a 74.9 grade um, from a receiving standpoint at PFF. 
And whenever he's working outside, and so which he's had to work um, 24% of the time, he's worked in line. 46% of the time, he's lining up in the slot. 24% of the time, he's lining up as a receiver outside wide, which is pretty high for a tight end. Normally, you know, even a tight end that gets moved all over the formation, you might see 10%. So the only thing, if I were to like have to create an argument against myself, which I always try to do when I look at these things, you always try to play like the devil's advocate. You're like, okay, what are you not seeing? What are you not thinking about? So if like there was this little person like chirping to me, whatever on my shoulder saying, hey, dummy, like, look at this. It would really be, okay, having to line up outside and match up with cornerbacks on 24%, what does that really mean for his routes? So because one of the advantages of tight ends of only needing to get to 80% instead of a receiver, the threshold's more around 90 92% that you want to see um, is because you're working inside. And if you're a superior athlete, you're working against linebackers who, you know, they're just not typically as fast or quick or as agile as you. You're working against safeties that are coming downhill. You're more susceptible to play action um, because those defenders are actually more responsible for run fits than what cornerbacks are responsible, but they have more time to see it all coming, right? They've got the outside lanes and so that would be the one thing that would be the only thing that if i because i haven't had this situation to be honest come up so it's something where i could look back at it and be like you know really his 88 percent of routes like if i were to discount like how often he was having to line up outside maybe it's like 75 percent or 78 percent. but either way it's still really close to 80 and we know he's an elite talent so i'm going to continue to buy and i would absolutely buy low if i were you i'm not i'm only me but if i were i would and now, the Cardinals at the Rams. Rams open as six-point favorites. Down to four and a half. Offense. Wow. Game total at 54. We finally get Dwayne a good offense. People, <laughs> I said before, David Montgomery, one of my favorite by-low candidates at the running back position. The other one, none other than Chase Edmonds, who might very well be the by-low running back. We finally got to see the Cardinals in a situation where they had to go catch up. And what happened? Eight targets, seven catches, 49 yards, Four, one, Chase Edmonds. Now everyone loves that James Conner got those two goal line touchdowns, and that's great. And it is, you know, a problem to an extent, as you pointed out, though, in your utilization report, though, Dwayne. It's not, hey, we're never giving you the ball, Chase Edmonds. He hasn't found his way into the end zone yet, and he's still a threat for 10 to 15 carries per game. Once we start getting into actual shootouts that force the Cardinals to keep up with someone, that's when I think Edmonds is going to break out and be fine in the current role he has. This is not even considering the fact that he is one injury to Connor, the maybe like the most actual injury prone guy in the entire league. I always talk about fancy points on Dr. Edwin Porras and Edwin like won't call anyone injury prone except James Connor. I think he said he has had a major like, Soft tissue connectivity issue. I forget the exact freaking medical words. Major tissue injury in like five of the last six calendar years. This happens with James Conner. All of you are so willing to do this. All of you people out there with your injury prone stuff, making me look bad for, you know, hyping up Raheem Mostert the entire summer. Like James Conner is just getting a pass seemingly. So for me, Chase has the targets. He has the pass down roll. He has enough rushing stuff that we're pumped, man. Like for him to already have, hey, 16 catches, 120 yards after three weeks of action. Like that's plenty promising. We were worried if like Rondale Moore was just going to soup up 
all the targets that were supposed to be going to Chase. Rondale's getting his, but it's really not been coming at the expense of Chase here. And what's happened in this Cliff Kingsbury offense, the few times where the Kenyon Drake or David Johnson has missed time, we have seen Edmonds put up 94 and 96% snap rates, a true every down roll. Maybe if that happens, you know, Benjamin comes in for a few snaps, but truly Chase Edmonds, I think solidifies himself as a, you know, lower end high floor RB two once things get going for him a little bit better. And again, one injury to arguably the most injury prone running back in the league away from being Austin Eckler light, honestly, if he's getting that much usage. So that could be huge. And yeah, Kyler Murray, if he could maybe score a little bit less on his own, that'd be cool. This dude has the fifth most rushing touchdowns in the league since week one of last year, which is just bonkers. We know Kyler is a fantasy football cheat code. It'd be nice if they, uh, you know, quit throwing to AJ Green and got to DeAndre Hopkins a little bit more. Christian Hurt continuing to do his thing. Rondale, someone that you can still feel great about moving forward. Number three among wide receivers in yards per route run. He's a baller. We can't start him with too much confidence right now because he's the offense's number four wide receiver as much as we want that to go up. So, Dwayne, are you with me at least a little bit on Chase Edmonds? And then talk to me about oh, dude. No, I am all the way in on Chase Thank Edmonds. That if, was you guys want, if you guys want a reason, uh, dude, you do your research too. I know people are probably like, you guys agree a lot. Well, like when you really, you know, a lot of the stuff, when you do your research, some things just like naturally lead to, you know, an agreement. But um, when I look at Chase Edmonds, I actually wrote this up today, um, you know, in the utilization report, but only three backs rank higher than Edmonds in targets and target share. Christian McCaffrey, you know, if you look back since 2011, um, Christian McCaffrey finished as the RB nine, James White finished as the RB seven on similar workloads in 2017 and 18. And so what I did is I basically condensed down, like basically being around 40% of the rushing attempts, right? So not, so basically capping his rushing attempts, knowing that those are going to go to James Connor and then looking at his targets that he was getting in this year and looking at his routes and basically capping and then coming up with a comp list. And so once I did that list, that's really what you came up with. So like the, the worst case scenario is like a, a James White, you know, type scenario when he had one of his really good years. And that's great. But your upside scenario is, you know, something more like McCaffrey or Kamara. Obviously, he's not quite getting the inside the five carries or the short down and distance because those are really still going to James Conner. But he hasn't been completely phased out in that area. He had 40% in week two. He had 40% of those last week, whereas it was 60 and 60 for Conner. You're always going to deal with Kyler Murray. Um, he could just, he could get a design rushing attempt inside the five as well. So it's going to be a little dicey, but I think that he's 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 gonna He's due. Here's what I would say in like, he's due for a blow up week. Like it's going to happen, yep. um, you know, because he's highly involved in the passing game. He's, he's an explosive playmaker with the ball in his hands. And I think that's the one thing people have kind of forgotten two years ago when people saw Chase Edmonds kind of jump onto the scene and have those couple of games where he had to start. And he had a lot of, you know, he had a lot of really great plays in those games People were super excited. And then, you know, a year happens. Some, you know, he didn't have the role last year. It was really more all Kenyon Drake. He was just the passing down, you know, back. He wasn't getting anything else. So people just have a tendency, you know, they forget. Um, I haven't forgotten. Like, I remember those plays. I remember, and I also, to your point, this is a great offense. So there's going to be a blow-up week coming for Chase Edmonds. As far as the Rams go, man, Cooper Cup, like, you cannot talk about a better alignment of like the stars, <laughs> you know, um, 
number one, super smart dude, like, you know, going and basically sitting down with the CEO of his company, Matt Stafford, having coffee, lunch, you know, getting to, getting to know the guy, Robert Woods, you may want to take a couple of notes on this, just saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you look at Cooper Cup, you know, the thing with him, like he's by far the most targeted Ram whenever the other team blitzes. You know, he's targeted 69% of the time nice. when the opposing team blitzes. And the Cardinals like to blitz on 30% of the plays where they face a pass play. So that's one of the tops in the league. So you're probably going to see another good game from Cooper Cup. This is probably not the week that he's going to get stopped. But really what I'm here to tell you guys, buy low on Robert Woods. Robert Woods is still the wide receiver two in this offense. If you look at the target shares and you tell me this, Ian, I want your thoughts. Like when you, you know, realistically, you look at the target shares, you know, for the Rams and you think about this right now, you've got Cooper cup sitting at a 36% target share. Okay. Then you have Robert Woods sitting at a 20% target share. Do you really think they have that much distance between them when the season is over? No, absolutely not. No. I, me either. He is he, the by low wide receiver right now. Exactly. And even if Cup manages to hit like 30%, which would be really elite. And he could, he could hit that um, because the way he's used against the, I think teams are going to stop blitzing them is what's going to probably happen. But, um, but even if that, you know, even if he led the team and ended up at 30% and say another 4% of that went to Woods, the 2% went elsewhere. Like you get Robert Woods to 24% target share and the best offense he's ever played in good things are going to happen. Robert Woods has been more of a 22, 23% target player, not getting quite as many rushing attempts this year. That's a little bit of a bummer, but the offense is evolving. It's still the best iteration um, of the Rams that he's been in, in my opinion, you know, as far as the pure passing game goes. And so I, my belief is that 29.4 years old, Robert Woods is not washed. He didn't just all of a sudden wake up the season and think, oh my God, like it's left me. I don't have it in my body anymore. He still has it. It's just a matter of the way that things get schemed out, the way a game works. We've talked about it multiple times. Things will come back to Robert Woods. I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the season. And it's like 25% to Woods, 28% to Cup. Like it could be that close and cup could still lead in by five touchdowns. Cause he does get targeted more in the end zone, but man, Robert Woods gets 29% of the targets in the end zone. The Rams offense gives one out of three end zone targets to Robert Woods. Ian, you can repeat it for me if you feel like it needs repeating, but <laughs> I mean, third down and fourth down 25% of the targets go to Robert Woods, 29% go to Cooper cup. So it's not like Matt Stafford doesn't trust the guy. He throws him the ball in the end zone, throws him the ball on third and fourth down. It's just been the way the reads have worked out, what the defense is dictating. Matt Stafford's a smart quarterback. Yes. I think him and Cooper cup have a great um, connection. Yes. I think the slot is harder to defend than an outside receiver, but I promise you defenses are going to start focusing on cup and they're going to try to figure out how do they bracket in? How do they do things to take it away? And when that happens, Robert Woods will be unleashed. He is the wide receiver too. I know in my mentions the other day on Twitter, I said, those were like, yeah, but man, you got Deshaun Jack guys, Deshaun Jackson. Yes. I love him. He's out there 30% of the plays. He's not eating Robert Woods dinner. Like Robert Woods is going to eat his own dinner. He doesn't, he's not worried. You know, if they're, you know, he's not worried about Deshaun Jack. Deshaun Jackson has a completely different role. He's going to get some targets. Van Jefferson's going to get theirs. Robert Woods has his role in this offense, and it's coming. Another NFC West 
potential shootout Seahawks at the 49ers San Fran sitting as 2.5 point favorites 52 and a half point game total um yeah people DK Metcalf already 100 yards and a touchdown last week but maybe he doubles that in this spot because we are at the point where like we're getting national media people having to report on the health of Josh Norman because that's how dire the 49ers cornerback room was it's honestly like when the Seahawks faced the Colts in week one and people were trying to make this big deal about Xavier Rhodes being out I think people just hear a cornerback name and like they assume because they know who that cornerback is that they're like a good player for the next half decade like the amount of kind of turnover people have and like distinguishing the good and bad cornerbacks is just terrible compared to a lot of other positions. It's okay. It's again, I, I just talked earlier why I don't think wide receiver cornerback matchups are as important as some people make them out to be. Just realize DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, highest combined sum of target share, 57%. Their air yard share is 82%. Highest uh, highest one-two combo in any passing offense in the NFL. So if Tyler Lockett is banged up, you know, he was able to play at the end of the game. Dwayne brought up his quick, his you know, fantastic adrenaline metaphor on the uh, game breakdown pod. If he's banged up, we got Dwayne Eskridge still in the concussion protocol. Freddie Swain becomes someone, you know, hey, if you want one of Russell Wilson's top two receivers against an exploitable secondary. Freddie Swain and your 14, 16 team leagues could be a spot starter if Lockett and Eskridge end up missing this one. Not saying it's likely monsters injury reports. And as always, we'll have our Friday night, Saturday morning podcast talking through the injuries. But either way, it's all the DK Metcalf. There's no one on San Fran to scare Russ away from not throwing him the ball. And it's just all guns blazing. Running back Chris Carson got monitored that hamstring injury. I'm seeing Alex Collins getting a lot of the love as the potential waiver wire ad. I don't think any of these guys are worth it because it's too muddled right now. Rashad Penny would be the number two. He wasn't active last week because he's had the calf injury, but he hasn't been put on IR seemingly because they don't think it's an issue that will sideline him more than three games. He's now missed two games. You know, I'm not a doctor, Dwayne, but that would tell me his expected return date would maybe be this week as it is. So any, even if Penny ends up being confirmed as a starter, we could certainly see Homer continue to get the pass down work, call and steal some early down stuff. I just don't think it's worth it if Carson is sidelined. If Carson's good to go because he's a warrior, great. Continue to treat him as the borderline RB1 slash upside RB2 that he's largely been throughout the past two, three seasons. Dwayne, Ayuk, he's back. Let's go. Yeah, he is back. So, I mean, if you look at Ayuk this week, um, routes jump went from 54% week one, 59% week two, to 90% this last week. Targets went from zero to 7% to 17%. Targets per route went from 0% to 10% to 14%. So those are, those are good. Those are trends, right? And it, you know, when you start as bad as week one, you know, started, then you've got a good platform to actually build a good trend, but hitting the 90% is really important for IU. That tells me he's at least out of the doghouse. He is um, the wide receiver too. He is behind Debo. Debo was out there for 96% of the routes. And oh, by the way, Debo, 28 percent of the targets even with Ayuk out there I know he finished with a PPR 46 rank um, that was before putting in the Monday night game so it's probably even a little bit lower once you calculate that in but Debo despite you know the way the game went like he was still a monster from a utilization standpoint so here's my thought on Ayuk and I, I actually want to get your thoughts on it Ian um, just you know here's my I, I like that he's playing but my concern is like our hypothesis was you know, Brian, Brandon Ayuk can really attack all levels of the field. And, you know, it was more like, is Debo more just the gadget player? But now what we're seeing is they're really using Debo. Yeah, it's not deep, 
but you know, his ADOT's not like negative two anymore. You know, <laughs> he's actually working down the field. They are getting the ball in space for run after the catch, but it's not all at the line of scrimmage. And man, I mean, his role, they are finding all sorts of ways to use him. And I, I think before the thought was, well, if Debo's really more a gadget player, then it could be Ayuk and Kittle really leading the team in targets. Now the way I look at it, wow, it's an offense that runs the ball 50% of the time. It's an offense that doesn't run a lot of plays. And now I've got three players with Ayuk, maybe as the wide receiver three. It's not very clear that he's the top option anymore. In fact, I would like if I had to put money on it today, I would say he's not. He's third in the pecking order. That could change. He is a talented player. He could take over more. But my question is, is how much upside really is there in the current iteration of the 49ers offense when you know you've got to split the ball three ways? Well, look, look so, Dwayne, it's, it's honestly like to me, I was low on Ayuk and I was low on DJ Moore compared to everyone in the offseason pretty much for the same reasons. Crowded yeah. offense where we just couldn't discern the right target share. Obviously in Carolina, the talent won out. The talented wide receiver that we knew had the ability to play at a high level, got the target share that he deserved and he is balling. It can go the other way where, hey, the guy that we think is most talented isn't who the coach thinks. And then all of a sudden we're looking at the number three guy in the pecking order. So I wish it was a cookie cutter to figure this stuff out. Unfortunately, every team a little bit different. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So that's really it on that team. Um, the only other thing, we'll have to see what's going to happen with the backs. I don't, I haven't heard anything yet. I just Googled and looked. Nothing new on Elijah Mitchell. So uh, Trey Sermon. Didn't look great, but he was in the concussion protocol last week. So he wasn't, maybe he wasn't fully prepared, you know, for the game. And they gave Kyle Juszczyk a little bit more action. You know, I don't know. It's like you said, some of these things, like we can look at utilization and everything all day long when it comes to Kyle Shanahan with some of the stuff, honestly, it's a like throw my hands up in the air moment um, because I just can't, he's one of the tougher coaches to decipher in the NFL. Yeah, I was writing up my backfield article today, spent several paragraphs going through the different scenarios and then just had to end it with, of course, this headache of a fantasy situation could also just as easily decide to introduce another random member. Like who the hell knows? The upside. Marlon Mac. Oh my God, don't. Don't you dare put that in the universe. Oh my God. Again. <laughs> well, aren't they, aren't, didn't they put him in active because he might get traded? I guess so. I guess he would probably immediately be like, stop it. Stop it. He would be one of their top two. We're right? not talking about this unless we have to. <laughs> okay. Let's not talk about it. We'll week three it. of football <laughs> is in the books. And now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL to kick off another action pack week. DraftKings has given new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week one week four game to receive one. $150 in free bets instantly download that. And again, $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only a minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required one per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana nine with it. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, that is. And also, people, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Steelers at the Packers. Green Bay, six and a half point favorites, 45.5 
game total in this one. Dwayne, Najee Harris, in terms of expected fantasy points, RB1, not Derrick Henry, Najee freaking Harris. That's what happens when you get 19 targets in one game. I mean, it's – I have fun with the 17-game pace stats after week three. You can get some bonkers numbers. You can compare two players. Oh, yeah. where's Hopkins rank on the Cardinals targets? Things like that that we know are going to even out. None of them are as fun as just looking at Najee's targets compared to pretty much anyone else in the league. And you can mock, you know, as much as you want with it. So fun time. But hey, I don't want people to think that Najee isn't playing well and that he's only being a volume hog. He has zero chance. And our guy, Austin Gale, had a great tweet about this. League high, 70%. Of Najee's carries, he has been hit at or behind the line of scrimmage. This really has no chance out there. When they get him the ball, he's usually making the first guy miss. He's got a vicious stiff arm. He hurdles more than like any running back I've seen other than Alexander Madison, maybe even more than Madison at this point. Najee loves jumping over people, and I love watching him do it. So please keep doing that, Najee. It's so cool watching a human hurdle another human trying to tackle them, like to even pull that off. To even think about pulling that off, you just got to be a special individual. Ended up forcing 11 broken tackles last week. And again, a lot of that was the most in the league. Yes, a lot of it came because of the volume. I get it. But hey, we see a lot of running backs have the volume not come close to breaking that many tackles. So Najee right there with Mixon, I think at this point in terms of guys that we just need to treat as the high-end fantasy RB1 that their volume suggests they are. I mean, at this point, Big Ben falling off a freaking cliff is the best thing that could happen to Najee Harris. Dwayne, I think last week you mentioned like, hey, let's just – why not give Mason Rudolph a chance? You know, Dwayne Haskins just it can't get much worse. And I was kind of hesitant with it. I, that Those last 60 minutes were all I needed to see. I am done with Big Ben. Chase Claypool had the Eli Apple matchup. He had 15 targets and he could not get to 20 fantasy points. I don't know what's going to do it. Maybe Juju with his rib injury isn't able to suit up. Maybe Deontay, you know, is out. I would like to think if Claypool can get 15 targets in back-to-back games, he can make something of them, but not looking great. James Washington, you know, he'll get wide open on a play or two and probably get missed by Ben Roethlisberger. So why put yourself through the pain of that? We can talk about his expected targets and everything. Big Ben cannot throw the ball right now. So because of that, it's Najee Harris. It's Claypool as a volume-induced wide receiver three. I don't feel good about it. You shouldn't either. Dwayne, let's talk some a little more positivity here. The Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at the Packers, um, you know, I was doing some research on them today. I mean, they're really what we thought they were coming into the season. They are. We, we knew that they, they were. were. We, we knew they were going to need elite efficiency like last year to continue to put up the numbers, right. That we saw from Rogers specifically, and also Robert Tanyan specifically, a little less Devonte Adams, less so, you know, Aaron Jones. Um, but it's kind of coming, you know, it's just, it's all really just playing out. So, I mean, if you look at their offense, it's, it's a slower offense. They're ranked 24th in place per game, 25th in place per minute time of possession is 18th. Um, they're, they pass the ball the 20th, most in the league they run the ball the 13th most in the league there's just you know it's just really this balanced offense and this was my concern with Aaron Rodgers and why I really you know encourage folks to just kind of just let him go just wait just take Brady take Brady um and and that's worked out so far and it's you know if you look at the the rank so far right now for Rodgers again before last night being worked in there 34th 6th and 13th and I think that's what you're going to get you're going to get these big games with hyper efficiency that we see from quarterbacks that play in this type of offense. You get an extra boost because Aaron Rodgers is a badass. I'm not saying he's not, but look, he doesn't have a ton of weapons. If a team can figure out how to take away Devonte Adams, 
And really, who's the second option? It's Aaron Jones. That's the next best thing. He's only a running back. He can only do so much. As much as we love him and we and had him ranked super high, and he's my RB4 the rest of the way. Um, you know, he was our, my, my RB4 to start the season, so he's just in the role I thought he would be in. But Aaron Rodgers, man, I'm a little concerned. Um, Devontae Adams is going to get his. He's a funnel. There's really not a lot else to talk about. We really talked about Aaron Jones, you know, on the show the other night. You know, just – Look, here's the bottom line with it all, folks. Most of what Jamal Williams left behind in the passing work, none of it went to A.J. Dillon, which is why I had Aaron Jones so high in my rankings this year, because Aaron Jones is a good receiver out of the backfield. He had played well when he'd been given the two-minute offense in the past. He played well when he had been given the long down and distance in the past. And when I watched A.J. Dillon, not that he can't catch a swing pass, but he can't run an angle route, right? He can't run an out. He can't run an up and an out against a linebacker and get open. Like there's a difference between the skill sets and the two players. So you can't always just think, and look, I look at roles. I look at utilization. You know, I'm very, you know, if I think the, if the fit is right, like it's a great way to project a player, but Aaron, AJ Dillon just never made sense in the role that people were projecting him for. And that's just really, you know, that's the way that it's all unveiled itself in these first few games, still a great handcuff to own no standalone value. It's just infuriating to me where we've now seen Aaron Jones, two best, biggest, baddest receiving games. He had the wild one. I think it was a Sunday night game against the chiefs, seven catches, 159 yards, two touchdowns. The three weeks after that, he caught one pass. And then last Monday night, he goes six catches, 48 yards, three touchdowns, proceeds to get two targets for 14 yards. Like, give this man five to eight targets per game, man. I know I'm picking on two games, but it's just like every time I think, oh, here we go. Aaron Jones is getting the pass down roll. It's him all, you know, all going forward with it. And he just has this small dud. I know he's going to have yeah. it more weeks than not. Yeah. It's just. No, there, he's going to have it, man. 100% of the two-minute offense, he owns uh, 63% of long down and distance his. So, I mean, he's taken it all. So basically if you take almost everything you had from Jamal Williams last year in receiving, which was pretty decent and you pile it on top of Aaron Jones, like that's where you're headed. He's probably going to be in the 70 to 75, you know, that's where I would project him, not even looking at where he's at today, but just knowing what I know about these roles and what that's meant historically, he's going to be fine. He's, he's still going to have some duds. Yeah. Ravens at the Broncos, Denver opening up as two-point favorites. That is down to one point. Game total sitting at 44. Poor Marquise Brown. Third most unrealized air yards last week. Two drop touchdowns. First one, hey, if you know, maybe some guys catch it. It did look like the ball got tipped at the last second, though. So, obviously, been getting all the crap on Twitter. He had such a great previous 10 games, and now everyone's just stomping on the dude's grape. But what do we say, Dwayne? We don't care about drops. Bateman's not back. I don't think Sammy Watkins is about to take over completely. We're going right back to the well with Hollywood Brown. I'm treating him like a guy that just had 10 really good games and one down one. Like I'm not fading him from now on because he had one admittedly terrible afternoon at the office. So we know Lamar is, you know, right there with Kyler as fantasy football cheat codes. Mark Andrews got back on track last week. That's great, but I'm fine going back with Hollywood as an upside wide receiver three. That's it in this offense. You know, I was surprised. I was shocked, honestly. Like one of the most surprising usage, other than the Miles Sanders uh, two rush attempt, um, you know, box score. The Ravens last week giving Latavius Murray seven carries to Tyson Williams five. I know Williams still played a major slight majority of the snaps. You got the backfield's only target, but Devontae Freeman 
Harden's out there enough to cause, you know, us to be a three-way situation. And like when Lamar Jackson is the NFL's fourth leading rusher, there's just not much more room to really go with it. So if I, you know, could, if it's not that big of a deal on your bench, I would try to keep Tyson and Latavius in the hopes that this clears out sooner rather than later. I don't think this is necessarily their split for the next, uh, you know, three months of the season. But at this point, we cannot. It's it's like the 49ers backfield if all the guys are healthy, like two. Well, maybe that's a bad example. This example, sticking with the Ravens, if all three of these guys are healthy and doing it, we can't get behind any of them in fantasy right now. So don't start the running backs, Lamar, Andrews, and don't be afraid to go back to Hollywood Brown, particularly getting some of that nice low roster ship in DFS land. Yeah, this is the other guess for Marlon Mack. Like when I heard Marlon Mack was potentially on the trading block, like you think Niners, you think Ravens, just because of the injuries that they've gone through. Who's um, trading so, for Marlon Mack? That that was my thought about it. Like no one's trading for him. I don't know, but he's not. I mean, maybe, but why else would they just put him inactive? No one would trade for Jamie <laughs> Collins. I mean, they're not going to trade for Marlon no, Mack. I, I, I didn't know why they – well, I don't know. I mean, we say that. Like with injuries, this is, this is how these type of trades happen. When a team gets – completely devastated by injuries, which is what's happened here. Um, so I, I would guess that it's the Ravens or the Niners. Send the Browns maybe, a third round pick for Kareem Hunt. Yeah. I mean, but they, they, I think the Browns value him more than that. Right. I mean, they just paid him. Um, everything runs through their backs, but yeah, I mean, send them, dude, I would love, I would love to see Kareem Hunt as the lead. Yeah, you're talking the about Marlon Mack. Ravens. Let's talk oh about Kareem gosh. Hunt. <laughs> You know, he's going to cost a lot more. I'm guessing Mac will cost you like a pick to never be named later. I think that's the part they probably like. <laughs> so, yeah, just real quick. A on pick the to be named later, they'll forget about it, and it won't even matter. It won't even get brought back up. <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, you know, buy me a beer the next time. <laughs> um, Cortland Sutton um, in a great spot here. You got K.J. Hamler out for the season. Unfortunate for him. You know, he had a knee injury this past weekend. You're already, already dealing with Jerry Judy being out. So there's just going to be more opportunities here. Last week it was Tim Patrick that really stepped up. Uh, I know you're a huge Tim Patrick fan. Um, 81% of the routes, 22% of the targets, which actually tied for the team lead right there with Cortland Sutton. Um, he was targeted on 20% of his routes, which was actually 3% more than Cortland Sutton. And he had the best ADOT on the team at 17.4, accounted for 44% of the air yard. So I do think with Tim Patrick, if you're in a tough spot, um, you know, he's somebody that you could potentially pick up. You could use him as a wide receiver three. You're not, you're not going to want to do it all the time, but until Judy gets back, I think if you're in a tough spot, he is a player that you could use. Like if I was looking at it and I'm like, well, I could pick up Cedric Wilson or I could pick up Tim Patrick. I would, I would probably pick up Tim Patrick. I would rather have the player. I think that's a little better, lesser offense, but probably a bigger role than what we're going to have with Cedric Wilson in the better offense, but really behind two or three other players as far as, you know, in the pecking order. So um, that's the way I would think about Patrick. And then no offense, just still kind of stuck in purgatory as far as, you know, he's, he can't quite get to the number we need for routes. And part of that's just because Albert, you know, O is also a good tight end, you know, and they have two players that they like. So that's really where this, you know, where this receiving course sits right now. Uh, I don't know where you are Ian, but for Portland Sutton, you know, I've got him this week um, heading in like my rest of the season ranks, which will change a little bit when Jerry, that's kind of a tricky part, right. Yeah. You know, when we don't know for sure how long uh, another player is going to be out, but right now, like he's just hovering around like that wide receiver 24 mark. <laughs> it's That's just exactly like, I just, where I had him rank last week. And I don't think I was scared off or anything about the performance to change it. 
Yeah. So if you've got Cortland Sutton, you're just continue to fire him up. You know, I know he didn't do um, a lot for you guys last week. He was wide receiver 52, but he was, remember, he was wide receiver four the week before. He's going to see the most targets um, over, if you were to average it out over a stretch of time, the next three or four weeks, I would feel really good about, you know, walking to the cashier somewhere and saying, look, give me, you know, 500 on Cortland Sutton to lead the team in targets over the next four weeks. That's the easy bet to make on this offense. I don't think anyone on the Broncos had more than five targets last week because they cakewalked through the Jets 26 yeah. nothing. Like Sutton caught all five of his targets. He drew a defensive pass interference in the end zone. He's still beasting, just wasn't, you know, a huge blow up game. Can't do that every week. I will say, though, as I'm quickly becoming a Sam Darnold defender, like as much as we wonder if he's the real deal about this, Teddy kind of seems to be getting anointed a little bit quick, man. They've played the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Jets, who I, I think definitely in the Giants and maybe the Jets case, those defenses aren't terrible. We'll find out a lot about this Broncos team. They got the Ravens, the Steelers, the Raiders, and the Browns coming up these next uh, four weeks. You know, it's hard not to just root for Teddy. Amazing story and all that. And it is good. He's throwing the ball more downfield this year. We're also seeing that average time to release really sticking up there. And I do wonder against a team like the Ravens and Steelers, how that's going to go. So I'm fine getting on with uh, Cortland Sutton and everything this week. These complimentary guys though, I I'm just not so sure this offense is built to enable more than one consistent higher end receiver Sunday night football Buccaneers at the Patriots. Funny how this all works out. Tampa Bay opened as five and a half point favorites up to six and a half game total of 49. Tom Brady, 68 yards shy of passing Drew Brees as the all-time leading passer. First game back in Foxborough. And some of you people still think we are not living in a simulation. Just absolutely ridiculous. But yes, Antonio Brown, hopefully he's back. If not, Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, keep firing them up. Scotty Miller is expected to be on IR or he's already been put on IR with the turf toe issue, which would mean... Tyler Johnson, man, he looks good with the opportunities. And if he can get out there and have a more featured role than usual, certainly a nice candidate for, you know, showdown stuff in DFS. I don't think you can feel great about Tyler in this spot, you know, as a standalone guy. But, hey, you know, hopefully we'll get some more updates on um, Antonio Brown's status. But if we're going to have Tyler going out there, getting an extra boost in target share, you know, from last week where he wasn't able to get the 50% mark, or, or I say snap share either way, Tyler Johnson looking like a solid number three because Buccaneers have like six awesome receivers at any given moment. Uh, only other point Giovanni Bernard could be out Bruce Arians though, finally doing the fantasy community a solid after all these years, he said that he'll know Wednesday if Gio is going to be out or not. And if not, Lenny would be more involved accordingly. We don't have to worry about Keyshawn Vaughn coming out of nowhere and taking those snaps. Maybe he could say, well, you know, Ronald Jones has been staying after with the jugs machine. I, I doubt that that's happening, but you never know either way. Bruce, given Lenny that uh, bump makes me uh, feel good about the situation because Hey man, Fournette, as much crap as, you know, he kind of gotten over the years. I think he just, he's one of these guys where when you're the fourth overall pick, you need to be exceptional. And if you're just good or whatever, that's usually seen as bad relative to where they were drafted. So for Fournette, volume should be there more than ever with Geo out. Now we can get behind him. That was the whole problem with this situation. We can live with Fournette having a lead over Rojo. It's when Geo takes all the freaking targets that there's a problem. So Lenny, one of only seven players with at least 35 touches and zero touchdowns this year. I think he's got due for some positive regression there. Goblin and Brady, I don't think are going to be the only guys to score rushing touchdowns on this offense this year. Loving it, people. Buccaneers, go get that record, Brady. Good for you. Dwayne, do we it is we got things to talk about in New England, but I'm just not so sure like we trust any of them enough to start this week. 
Yeah. So I think for me, it's a downgrade to Damian Harris. Um, you know, it's a tough matchup, um, bottom five on the slate um, this weekend against the Bucks. You are also a dog in the game. That is not good. You do, and, and you know, 6.5 dog at home. You know, I mean, is that right? Or is it at Tampa Bay? Is that a way? Oh, it's in New England. Yeah, it is in New England. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just like, oh. Why does it not say at? Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So 6.5 dog at home, that's more like a 9.5 dog right on the road. Um, because typically like the starting point on a road game is like a three point deficit. So I don't like that for Damian Harris. And we just saw it last week, you know, the Patriots trailed by four points or more on 96% of their snaps, which really destroyed Damian Harris's day. The two weeks before they've been able to keep the games more manageable, manageable. He finished 22nd and 17th in PPR this last week. He was 51st because his rushing attempts have been 74 and 67% and that dropped to 40%. His snaps dropped from uh, 40, 53 and 42% to 30 one percent so just a little note on Damian Harris still still going to be a you know low-end RB2 with some spike weeks when he gets the touchdowns this is probably not the week if you can avoid it if you can't I get it and you just got to roll with him you got to roll with him but if you have another option you get in you can get in there for Damian Harris this week do it the other thing we're keeping an eye on is just what's going to happen with James White being out Sounds like he's going to be out for an extended amount of time. Last week, it was Brandon Bolden that stepped straight into that role. Thank you, Bill Belichick. You got us again. Appreciate you. J.J. Taylor, uh, the guy that we hoped would get more of that role, did not. He only played 14% of the snaps, 14% of the routes. My thought is like, okay, why is J.J. Taylor even active if he can't be the you know the James White player? Are, we tell- are you telling us that like – Five foot, 112 pound JJ Taylor's the handcuff to Damian Harris. I don't understand the Patriots backfield. I guess that's why I don't understand the Dolphins backfield because it's a branch off of that. You know, every time, you know, when Matt Patricia was with the Lions, I didn't understand their backfield. So it's just, you know, all I know is it will always be a committee and you will never know for sure what's going to happen. So I'd rather just avoid it. Um, JJ Taylor, I do think Ian, and it could be a reminder Stevenson. A lot of people dropped him. Right after the fumble week one, went to the doghouse. Um, you know, one of these two backs could end up being more involved now with James White being out. I cannot tell you which one. It could just be Brandon Bolden, but I doubt it. Like Bolden's been around for forever. So, I mean, I kind of feel like that was like something to do with the game. And maybe they were so far behind, they were just worried about a lot of blitzing. They're like, we're just going to, we trust Brandon Bolden this week. I don't think that's a long term thing. I could be completely wrong, but that's where I'm at on the Patriots backfield. Just like the 49ers, it's all kind of best guesses talking about this. But yeah, I think the fact that it was 21 to three, nine seconds in the third quarter after Mac Jones <laughs> threw a pick six. And they were like, you know what, Brandon, try to protect this guy. And, you know, we'll give you a couple of touches and that'll be about it. I think JJ Taylor was going this game to have the number three RB role. And I think when James White got hurt, they just didn't change anything with Taylor. So I would anticipate his role increasing in the future. But yeah, the big, you know, takeaway here, don't just expect Damian Harris to all of a sudden have this like you know every snap 30 touch per week roll with all the pass maybe it's a couple extra targets but yeah they have taylor they have stevenson they have another i think we saw what we needed it's not happening last week would have been his chance you have james white out i mean they would have given him that they probably best news for jacoby myers if anyone yes yes i would agree with that um and oh yeah one other note just cut just cut um you know um cook you know, sorry. What am I talking about here? I'm talking to um, now move. Yeah. John o. Smith. Yeah, sorry. Bad. Uh, I'm scrolling all over to the next game, but yeah, John o. Smith, just man, 26% of the routes. Like why'd they even sign him? Dude, he's like, playing terrible too, man. He had a, I think the interception, the pick six bounced off his hands and then he dropped another one like later. It's, it's been bad. 
Um, yeah. yeah, just just cut him. There's no point. Only other note, we did. It was good to see Mac Jones get like 50 pass attempts in a game that they were losing. I kind of, you know, we we saw it with Burrow a couple times last year. They got down, they just kind of rolled over and ran the clock out. So they let him throw the ball around. Nelson Aguilar, number one unrealized air yards uh, going in this one. So not saying to go even get him necessarily, but in this post James White offense, we could see. Hey, look, before the season. We thought it was going to be the tight ends and James White probably as the top three pass catchers, and we had some Jacoby hype. Now we know Jonu is not being the Jonu we thought he was going to be. James White's out of the picture. Hunter Henry's doing fine, but he's not exactly taking over the target tree either. Kobe Myers, Nelson Aguilar. I'm not buying the Kendrick, Horn, uh, Kendrick Bourne yeah. hype. Good touchdown catch. That's it. Aguilar Myers could be fantasy factors sooner rather than later. We have reached the final game here, people. Monday Night Football. Raiders at the Chargers. This game in Mexico, I just feel like they always match them up in Mexico, but probably LA. Chargers, three and a half point favorites, 52.5 point game total. As we do all the time on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, we give Derek Carr all kinds of praise. Sixth highest average target death. If you're still making fun of Derek Carr for being a check down Charlie, you are one, inaccurate, and you are two, probably blocked by Derek Carr, who is pretty <laughs> sensitive on the old Twitter sphere. Last seven starts, 381 passing yards, 316, 336, 371, 435, 382, 386. I mean, he's not even like barely getting over the 300 yard mark. He's making it easy this season. QB nine, QB eight, QB 11, fancy football finishes. Keep on balling Derek Carr. He needs to be on the QB one borderline, regardless of the matchup at this point. Obviously you're firing up Darren Waller as the number two tight end in fantasy land. Now the question is what's going to happen with this backfield. If Josh Jacobs can return from this toe and ankle because Dwayne, I think we are looking at a three headed monster. Now, John Gruden made Kenyon Drake, one of the highest paid backup running backs in the league. He just signed Peyton Barber on September 6th. We're still not sure if he was even aware that Barber was playing with Washington because he only referenced his time in Tampa Bay. And since week two now, Peyton Barber tied for third in the NFL in most rush attempts. So, um, I think if Josh Jacobs remains out, which I, he seems like he'll be back this week, that would be my guess. I'm anticipating him coming back. But if he remains out based on pure volume, I think Peyton Barber needs to be a top 25 back. I, I won't say 24. I think I refuse like based on my, you know, like I got, yeah. like, I got like a morality clause yeah. with PFF. I won't put him as an RB two, but I think we might have to put him RB 25. Yeah. You still have to have principles. You Thank know, you. I mean, you get so. it. You get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so man, the chargers, Wow. Like I don't working through the utilization stuff this week and where the three week trends really come in. And I wrote quite a bit around like the team level for each team. So when you guys go in and look at it, you'll notice that for, there's a few teams I didn't, but probably because I had enough last week. And so you can refer back, but man, the chargers, um, look, they've, on, they've only trailed 9% of their plays. So they haven't had to play catch up. They've really been in a lot of close games, but when you look at their plays per minute, they're six best in the league. So that means they're playing with tempo. They're not playing fast because they have to catch up like the Jaguars, right? Or because it's just like, oh my God, what are we going to do? You know, we have complete panic mode. This offense is running with pace. Um, so if you look at, they've played, um, you know, the majority of the samples comes from that neutral script. And then if you look at the passing game, they've really, they're number seven in the league in passing, despite all these close scripts, despite some time leading. Um, so if you look at their passing um, numbers, 22% of the, I mean, they were 
22 out of 32 teams when trailing. So it's funny. They actually run the ball more when they're <laughs> trailing versus the league, which is being contrarian. Um, the Ravens do this. The Ravens do the exact same thing. They basically do the opposite of what they think a defense is going to think. So I think this is a positive. I think this is a good coaching staff close when they're in close games within three points, they're number four in the league in pass rate. And when they're leading, they keep the accelerator down. They're number three in pass rate when leading. So I am ecstatic about this offense. I was too low on Justin Herbert to start the season. I was too low to Mike Williams to start the season. I was, thank God, appropriately high on Austin Eckler. Um, I was in a good spot on Keenan Allen. So I got some of those players, but this is going to be a great offense. They're running a lot of volume and it's a really efficient offense. You don't see that a lot, folks. Typically what you see is a really good offense like the Rams. They don't need to run as many plays. This is an offense where they are truly running a lot of plays and they're playing really well. Um, so I think this could be the key to fantasy football 2021 is the Chargers. Um, when I look at Justin Herbert, I just, you know, and I was looking at him, you know, for, uh, you know, the rest of the season, um, I've got him right outside of my top eight, but like he could easily in the next week or two, Ian be pushing into the pushing for the top six spot. Like he could be pushing up against Dak. Like that's how good I feel about Justin Herbert right now um, in this offense. Feel really great, you know, about all the other weapons as well. I've got um, Austin Eckler um, ahead of Alvin Kamara. Like I've got Austin Eckler as my RB five for the rest of the season. Um, this is I'm I'm all in on this offense. I love it. Austin Eckler has the role that everyone wishes Alvin Kamara still had. Broncos three and Alvin out. Kamara still has the same role. His offense just sucks. <laughs> Kamara, where Eckler's got the Alvin Kamara role on what used to be the Saints. Um, with more volume, though, man, the Saints never ran at this pace. Like the Chargers, they are taking literally everything from an offensive standpoint. Brandon Staley has taken, you know, from tempo and all that stuff from the Rams, which is funny. Now they're running a slower pace. He brought all that stuff over. They've married like all these cool concepts with the wide zone on the ground, but they're running more of the saints passing tree. Like this coaching staff, man, deserves major hat tip so far. They really should have beat the Cowboys as much as I love the Cowboys. They should have beat the Cowboys in week two. The Chargers are a good team. Shout out to the athletics, Daniel Popper, who came on the PFF fantasy pod in March. And his bold prediction was Eckler would lead the NFL in total yards from scrimmage. Not saying that he's going to necessarily, you know, have that come to fruition, but clearly Daniel gave us a nice little leg up on this three down roll that Eckler has had following his lap. So thank you, Daniel. But yeah, man, Broncos three and zero, Raiders three and zero, chargers two and one chiefs one and two at the bottom of a completely loaded AFC South. Gotta love 2021 football. Gotta love the PFF fantasy football podcast. New episodes out Tuesday. We give you the waiver wire breakdown Wednesday that what you're, what you're listening to. Now we go through every single game previewing it Thursday. There's a guest on that will be PFF's own Kevin Cole this week, going through even more of the cool expected point stuff that you heard on this episode Friday, myself and Andrew Erickson doing DFS goodness Saturday, myself and Dwayne again, doing injury stuff. And Monday when Dwayne and I are ready to, you know, just gouge our eyes out after watching football all day. We, break down every single game Sunday night over some whiskey and drinks. So please continue to check it out. You know, if you're feeling kind, like leave a review, say something nice. I don't know. I, I always feel weird asking people to leave reviews, but Hey, but you know, fancy it. Why not? So in my just legendary outro I got going on here, Dwayne, anything else you want to add? <laughs> no, man, I'm just gonna let you keep rolling with that. But yeah, we, I, I just want to say, um, you know, I appreciate getting to be on here with you, Ian, appreciate all of the listeners, viewers, all that stuff. You know, we love you guys. So 
please, please keep sending us the feedback. You guys make us better. Uh, you guys made me go buy a quiet mouse. I think I already wore it out today, though, just writing the utilization report over the last two days. I think my mouse is like going, OK, I'm no longer like silent. So uh, we'll see what the feedback looks like on the mouse clicking. Got to love it. For Dwayne, not me. Thank you for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.